welcome to Cocktails and Calamity, the show where we get inebriated and discuss the fallout of technology, politics, and the social transformations shaping humanity's global future. The main topic today is the American dream, the ideal by which equality of opportunity is available to any American, allowing the highest aspirations and goals to be achieved. The question is, is America still reaching toward this ideal? Are those who have grasped it intentionally precluded? others from doing so and specifically is wall street a direct threat to the priorities of main street or can they work together to keep the american dream alive Whew. it's gonna be an amazing topic we've got some great current events to discuss with you guys today and uh, before we do that why don't we turn it over to Kristen to uh, talk a little bit about our uh, cocktail of the day which is um speaks directly to uh to our conversation cheers guys Cheers. Cheers. We're here. We're traveling, and that's why the totally inappropriate glass. Um. Yeah. <laughs> no, I like it. It's classy. It's classy. Just like the American dream. Yes, yeah, super classy, like the American dream. So it's a, it's an apple pie, apple pie Tom Collins, right? Is that right? Uh, no, old fashioned, apple pie, old fashioned. Yep. Yeah, apple pie, old fashioned. And um, it called. Well, I wasn't supposed to tell, but it called for things that we didn't all have. But ours came out really nicely. Brooks, did you yeah, come out nice? Yeah, I, I was. I said it was good at first, but the, upon the second sip, it's quite. It's quite tasty. It's very good. Yeah, ours um, is too. I was excited because for the bitters, I ended up ordering this. And uh, I, I, have, I have a little history with the Underberg. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> I love the little story on the back of the box. It's adorable. Read anyway, it. It's read, so read it. Yeah, read it for everyone because it's actually really cool. Why don't you say, what is it called again? Underberg. Underberg. Bitters. <laughs> it's uh, it's it's actually it's actually not even bitters. It's really a, a digestif. Mm. And what it really is is the greatest hangover cure of all time because it's like a hundred and forty proof, uh, and it's got all of the all of the little uh, greens and and goodies that make your GI tract feel a lot better. But it's a hell of a hangover right. cure. Right. 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 Yeah, um, since 1846, Europeans have known, pronounce it again. Underbeck. <laughs> underbeck. As a remarkably satisfying way to conclude a meal. But to define underberg, you have to experience it. Anyway, I, I won't do the whole thing, but it, it's pretty cute. Yeah. It is. It's cool. And uh, strangely enough, we've got a little mart right down the street that's, you know, typically beer and wine, but they do, for whatever reason, carry those. And and I'm not kidding, folks. They are the greatest hangover cures in history. If you feel like poop, you had a really long night, you wake up and drink one of those, it is far better than even the hair of the dog. So wait, huh. we're drinking the whole bottle of bitters? Is that what happened? Is that yeah, what that's doing? what it says. It's, it's a digestif. It's not, it's yeah. not bitters. Right. A digestif. Yeah. But you digestif. can use it as bitters. And it tastes really good in the drink, so... It tastes kind of like if you um, like if you drink it by itself. It kind of tastes like if you brush your teeth with grass, uh, but Ooh. it goes well with with cocktails. It's actually not terrible by itself. It's just a little bit of mint and a little bit of uh, grassy green goodness. I thought it had an anise smell. Yeah, there's definitely some star some stariness in there. Yeah. Um, so what I wanted to bring up uh, first for current events. This was uh, something that I posted on Facebook yesterday, and, and about three in the morning, Brooks, you replied uh, to this saying, "There will be no debates." I was referring to Trump and Biden um, coming up, and I'm and I'm curious to hear a little bit more about why you think that. 
But I, this is this is something I want to want to share with you guys and, and just listen real quick. This is an interview that Joe Biden gave. It's just a small clip of an interview that Joe Biden gave um, the day before yesterday, and I was <laughs> I just felt like it was something we absolutely had to share uh, with our listeners. So I'm going to share my screen real quick. Um, let me know if you guys can hear this okay. Uh, but I'm going to go ahead and click play, and then you guys tell me what you think. A cognitive. No, I haven't taken a test. Why the hell would I take a test? Come on, man. That's like saying you before you got in this program, you take a test where you're taking cocaine or not. What do you think, huh? Are, are you a junkie? What do you say to President Trump, who brags about his tests and makes your mental state an issue for voters? Well, if he can't figure out the difference between an elephant and a lion. I don't know what the hell he's talking about. Did you watch that? Look, come on, man. I, I, I know you're trying to goad me, but I mean, I'm so forward looking to have an opportunity to sit with the president or stand with the president in debates. There can be plenty of time. And by the way, as I joke with him, you know, it, I, I shouldn't say it. I'm going to say something I don't, I, I probably shouldn't say. Anyway, I am, uh, I am very willing to let the American public judge my physical and mental, fil- my physical as well as my mental fil- fitness and uh, to, uh, you know, to make a judgment about who I am. Jesus fucking Christ, you guys. We're, we're in trouble, guys. Uh, you know, <laughs> and I, 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 I hate to say it, but I'm pretty sure that's our next president. At this what point. the fuck was that? I, I don't know. I, I'm, this is, I'm so, so, looking I, for... I'm <laughs> My my mental and he couldn't and even say cognitive fitness without stumbling. He couldn't say fitness. All right, so so listen. First first off, to all of you listening, uh, and to all of the people in, in <laughs> that are citizens of this great nation of ours, um, I'm begging you. Let's change the field. We've got to change the the field here. The, we should not have two guys who have to figure out whether or not they're taking dementia tests or they should be taking dementia tests as the two candidates to be president of the United States of fucking America. It just shouldn't be the case. And right. And, and why is he, you know, I, I don't understand why he's responding so aggressively. Like, why don't you be like, Oh yeah, no, I'm, I'm cognitively competent. Let's move on. Like why, why is he getting so aggressive to the point where he's fucking brain, like his, his wires are crossing. Of it, Michael. That's a symptom of cognitive decline. You're right. Mama said said that alligators are so ornery because they got all them teeth and no toothbrush. That's like asking all these. Go ahead. That's like asking us if someone's telling me you're going to take cocaine, you're going to take cocaine? What are you, junkie? Like, what are you talking about? What is this motherfucker talking about? I'm so confused. (laughs) Here's the thing. We've got two guys who are in their mid to late 70s running against each other. Neither of which, I mean, don't get me wrong. If if we're going to put them through like an Iron Man type challenge, cool, go for it. I I still stand by the fact that I'm pretty sure President Trump, although clearly he was not invited by the New York Yankees to throw a pitch, but even were he to have been invited, I I think it would have gotten canceled because I don't think he can move his right arm above his head anymore. You know, he, he'd spent a lot of time talking shit about John McCain uh, and McCain due to years or not years, but a long stint of torture uh, at the hands of the Viet Cong had a hard time lifting his hands above his head. 
Uh, I don't think Trump can do it. And I think it's because he had a fucking stroke. Mm, that's that, interesting. That, that late night visit to, uh, to yeah. the medical facility that was uh, his getting his physical early. Well, you don't do it at midnight. That's not how physicals work. I'm fairly certain that he's had a stroke. Yeah, he, he very well may have. And so we've got two candidates who are and, and you know, and I, I'm not lessening Trump's insanity by by pointing out Joe Biden. So I just want to be clear. No, on no, that. They're both nuts. I, yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I think uh, Don says it's Trump all over again, even his. And by the way, uh, I'm buying stock in Jack Daniels and going to grow my own weed to get through this next presidency. Do whether, it. it's, whether it's Trump or or Biden, like here, here's the deal. I'm you know, I, I swing progressive. So. For me, the lesser of two evils is obviously Biden because at least we can get somebody on SCOTUS. We can get we, we can we can potentially make sure that the right wing doesn't take over the government. And and I'm all for balance. I, I really am. Like I have a lot yeah. of principles and in, in, in conservativism as well. I don't, you know, I think there's this idea that in order for us to fix the problems we have, we have to burn everything to the ground. And I think that's that's not really speaking to progress and change. But I can understand the sentiment. I can understand sure. the sentiment of wanting to burn it down because people have been, you know, oppressed and underappreciated for so long that it, it creates this, you know, b- between classism, racism, um, you know, and all of the th- sexism and all of the things that have, you know, kept the American dream down. I think that you know we we need some sort of balance. But I, I'm not sure I buy into the whole burn it to the ground um, well, philosophy. You know, as Americans, that's also kind of just what we do anyway. I mean, it really is. It, the, the basis of this nation, you know, and, and the, the principles that it was founded upon were kind of, you know, we're going to baptism by fire, burn it down, build it back up and do it our way. So I get the mentality, but I agree with you. I think that we have to we have to take the things that are somewhat working and use them as a foundation to build upon. Yeah, and the things that aren't working, burn the shit out of them. Like, I'm all about burning things that don't work. I'm just saying, like, when it comes to checks and balances in government, when it comes to our ability to keep the president from being a king, like, those are things and that have been baked into the system. Now, there's a lot of shit that has been baked into the system that is that I do want to burn to the ground. But when it comes to our ability to govern effectively, I think the biggest problems are way more having to do with money and politics. And, and we're going to, we're going to talk, we, that's actually yeah. next week's episode. Yeah. So I don't want to get too, too deep into that. But you're, um, not wrong. you're not wrong at all. You're not. So what else is going on besides uh, Biden's cognitive decline? And uh, I mean, you well, know, again, I, is we, it, I don't even know if it's a decline though. I just like Biden's always been a little fucking nuts. He's uncle Joe, you know, he's, he's kind of creepy, but you've got to love him. I mean, it's, it's, I don't know. I, that. We, we were talking about that yesterday. He's that sort of creepy that when you get to a certain age, it's like forgivable creepy. It is. It is. He's crazy Uncle Joe. really, really bothers my kid. Like Joe, the oldest, she's very upset by that. How they'll let older men out of prison who have done horrible things. And then they go out and do it again because, you know, they're cute and they're old and they're forgiven. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, yeah, I mean, you're, you're absolutely right. That's definitely true. Everyone's got the weird uncle who wants you to sit on his lap a little too long. You know, I mean, that's, yeah. it's, unfortunately, it's such a trope that you're right. It's become forgivable to a degree. Um, I, I can honestly say I'll probably be uh, uh, Joe Biden when I'm in my <laughs> late 70s. You know, I'm just... <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty creepy as is, and it's not I even, you know. I you smelling anybody. 
Mike a couple times. I've kissed Mike <laughs> on the mouth before a few times. I mean, I'm, I'm a little hard to handle, so I'm not. It's it's true, uh, but I will say that I don't think I terrify your children, so that's probably good and maybe bad judgment on their part. Well, um, no, and I think I mean our family. I can I can't speak for for everyone out there, but I think <laughs> I think that intelligence, you know, trumps trumps your creepiness. <laughs> That means, that means a lot. That means Where, a lot. Whereas, whereas we have a Biden and I, who I don't consider incredibly intelligent in the first place, and he's just creepy. So I, I would, I would yeah. give you some distinction there. Well, so let, let's talk about this test, though, because I think this is a really interesting – it's a really interesting thing, and it's something that's kind of been, um, uh, I guess, under-discussed. Uh, under We've talked a lot about that Trump took the test. He did very well on the test. Um, but this is not a test that's like, oh, hey, I'm going to go get my IQ checked. No, this is the no, no. test that's go ahead, Christian. Well, it's 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 very what do they say? The definition of dementia is not forgetting where you left your keys, but what your keys are for. <laughs> that actually makes a lot of sense. But you're right, and that's but this is a test that gets prescribed to people who they're basically to check to see how far along in dementia they might be. Mm-hmm. And if our president, whether or not it gets passed, if our president is in a position where he has to get checked for dementia, I think that's already a red flag. Right. You know, and, and, and that's and that's what I'm saying about change the field here. I mean, we've got two guys who are in the mid-70s, and, and for, for their age, they're both relatively healthy. I think Biden's a lot healthier than Trump is. But for their age, they're relatively healthy. At the same time, both of these guys are you know, one uh, double cheeseburger away from a heart attack at any given time, potentially. And so yeah. out of touch. I mean, that's well, one of the biggest yeah. problems with them being so damn old. Is well, yeah, I can't, I can't even imagine what them trying to use technology looks like. <laughs> Just, well, and, and not to mention, you know, you look at Biden, you're, you're, we're looking for progressivism when it comes into, you know, like people's people's ability to do what they want to do right and so like for example his record on marijuana and criminal justice is fucking awful biden's record is terrible now you know i honestly i think trump might be a little more progressive on marijuana and criminal justice probably probably. but the issue is and this is that's sad that's sad no no i was just saying that's sad that our our front runner in the democratic party is you know may not be as progressive when it comes to criminal justice reform and um, and the drug war um, than than Trump. Is How it, is that possible? Is well, I think that's like twice as bad as yeah. Trump? That's a whole yeah. That's a whole different. He's a what? he's a he's a Pence. Pence is a, is a special kind of of military. Oh, dude. Uh, oh, dude. Conservative. That's that's yeah. different. No, I um, would I would describe Biden is light years more progressive than Pence. Pence is a. Ooh. Donald Trump is light years more progressive because I mean the man calls Absolutely. his wife mom, so that's ends it for me right there. I mean that's pretty much <laughs> I'm done. I can't even. We're not even going to go down that fucking rabbit hole. But um, the uh, the thing the thing that I look at, and, and I think this is an indictment of of the Democratic Party, is for a long time, a very long time, they have leaned towards more conservative uh, candidates in in their in the. Uh, nomination process mostly yeah. because they're trying to grab this independent vote and mm-hmm. i get that i truly do but at the same time you're shooting yourself in the foot here and it's happened time and time again where right. instead of a can i mean that's what happened with hillary hillary was an electable candidate bernie would have had a better shot when it when it happened 
because well, it, he didn't polarize people the way that she did. And, and, and Biden polarizes people, too. Right. But not not I don't think Biden polarizes people the way that Hillary did. Well, no, he's not a woman. And ultimately, I think there's just a lot of people out there who feel threatened by powerful women. At the end of the day, I think there's a lot of, of men who I don't know if it's it, where, where it stems from, if it's uh, really, truly sexism where it's they feel threatened. A woman who ha- who's powerful, they just can't handle the idea of it. I mean, you know, and, and Hillary's got a lot of issues onto yeah. herself, but I really think that, that the the reason that that election went the way it did was there were a lot a lot of people who would have voted if she was a man, and and it's not a it's not a dislike for women. Thanks, so. It's a fear of powerful women. I, that's a just an opinion, but I think that's the case. Well, we have no we have no balanced middle space. We're either too masculine, too strong, too soft, too women sure. never. Right. Women don't get the luxury of being an anything, you know. Right. Yeah, you're either supposed to be a Barbie doll or or a, or a butch, right? It's kind of the unfortunate right. dichotomy yeah. there. And you and when you've got someone like so let's let, I mean you've got um AOC now, right, who is somewhat feminine, or, well actually she's quite feminine. And still a ball buster and people just can't, they can't handle her. They, they're right. terrified of, of a woman who's able to put a dress on and kick your ass. I love it. Well, I love that. I do too. I, I do too. Says not, something. What was she, that doesn't let him, she actually stands up and says something oh, yeah, yeah. and behave like the boys club and get away with it. So. Right. Well, she calls them on their shit, you know, and, and Mike, I'm with you. I love it too. I'm, I'm married to the biggest ball buster on the planet. <laughs> My wife is, is can probably kick my ass. Like if it really came down to it, she is she is amazing. She's as intelligent as they come, and she'll probably whip my ass if it really comes down to it. You know, that, and and I love that. Well, that brings me yeah. to something else. And this this there was a study done in the United Kingdom recently, um, and this is going to probably upset and scare a few people. But um, so the study was about feminism and Gen Z, and and specifically Gen Z males. And 50% of the men in this study, I think it was like 2,400 men between the ages of, uh, I think it's like 18 and 24 is Gen Z. And you said this is just the UK? This is in the UK, yes. So this doesn't speak to the US, but I imagine there are, um, I imagine there are things that are, yeah, definitely. Um, The uh, 50% of men in Gen Z say feminism has gone too far. Um, the young people in the time of COVID-19 report released today surveyed 2,076 16 to 24-year-olds on their ideological beliefs during the pandemic. It found that only 21% of male participants do not agree that feminism has gone too far. Only 39% believe it is more dangerous time to be a woman than a man in Britain today, while nearly one in five hold negative views about feminism. Men's rights and anti-feminism are increasingly becoming a slippery slope to the right, appealing to young men feeling emasculated in the age of changing social norms so i think it's like it's like this i was just gonna say real quick it's just this like we've moved you know we've had the me too movement we're really starting to move in the direction of of equality and um equity when it comes to men and women um we still have a gender pay gap that we can go into a little bit Kristen and i got into this deeply with rory the other night about what actually causes gender pay gap is it discrimination is it only discrimination is it gender roles is it does it have to do with um, there's a lot of factors for sure right does it have to do with you know um part-time, full-time work, you know, there are, there are a lot of things, but discrimination is definitely one of them. But it's um, I, think, I agree. 
Yeah, but this idea, and you know, we haven't even got to equality yet, right? So there's still this gender pay cap, but all of these kids are feeling emasculated by the feminist movement, and we're not even there yet. Like that's that's concerning. Yeah. Also, I think they don't know what that means. I think they might think they're being emasculated, but they don't know what it is. So that's an excellent point. <laughs> no, no, that's, that's an excellent point. And, and, and that was the word out of that whole thing. That was definitely the word that stuck out to me for a couple of reasons. Because I think, A, I think you're absolutely right, Christian. I think that a lot of these people, when, when they feel emasculated, really it's that they've been indoctrinated to believe that just because they're a man, they've got to be better, faster, stronger, tougher than a woman. And that's not always going to be the case. And B, I think that calling it emasculation, what it really is, is it's fear to compete. And I think this is something that we see both on, um, on sexism. And I think we also see it in, in the race issue too. One of the things, one of the reasons that a lot of these, these uh, alt-right white guys who dislike black folks, they do it because they're terrified to actually compete against someone who's different than them, who is intelligent and capable. Right. And for the last how many years, we were, Chris and I were listening to a podcast the other day, and it was like, it was talking about how men are very much struggling in, Gen Z men are very much struggling because they're, you, you know, you used to be able to go out and get a factory job, you could get a middle class income with with a job like that, whereas now that's completely out out of, you know, it's just, it's, it's, the world has changed so much that men don't have an obvious advantage anymore. And right. I you know, and it's and it's you know we're we're to the point where we are approaching this equality or equity, and people are getting the same opportunities. But men feel like every room that it used to be where a man will walk into a room and he's always right, he's always fucking right. But now a white man is speaking. A white man is speaking. A white man. A white man. But now, man whenever that right. But now, when that white man is speaking, whatever room he walks in, he's automatically wrong before even well, and, before and, even getting there because he represents the patriarchy he represents racism and and I think that's what I think that's what they're pushing up against more is they're like oh well you know just because this you know I think it's two things I think one is I didn't do it you know my, the, sure. the previous generations did it um, but I'm secretly annoyed that I don't get the same benefits uh, so I can I can see that and it's something that I can absolutely attest to you know I We've all, I mean, pretty much anyone who works in the corporate wor- world at all has dealt with diversity and inclusion seminars and all kinds of, of, of conversations that are occurring that weren't 10 years ago, or at least not to the degree they are now. Um, and yeah, I'm a, I, I, I always actually joke about this and, and paint a fake target on myself. I'm a white guy with a beard. I probably look like in any given room, you know, the most bigoted person. That's just the, uh, you know. And, but I'm, I mean, if you've met me, you probably know that's not the case. Right. But I can see it, and I can and I can understand that mentality. That shit. Do you think that holds you back in any way? No, I don't think. I I, I think that you could make a, a really really shitty argument. Argument. argument yeah. so, but, but I don't. But I don't <laughs> think it's the case. I don't. You know. It, yeah. And and that's and and that's the other thing that I think it speaks to is that we are going to as as white men or just men in general really we're going to have to not be right because of who we are, but we're going to have to be judged for the content of our character. You know, Martin Luther King said it and, and that's the case. It doesn't matter. The white privilege thing is, is going to have to go. And at the end of the day, you're going to have to go out there and compete and perform. And that's one of the things that we've done very, very poor job of for the last few generations 
is instilled not just a healthy competition because everyone wants, they want the deck stacked for them. You know, everyone wants. Right. And, And at the end of the day, if you can't go out and compete at a level playing field, then you shouldn't be playing. Right. And maybe there, there, maybe we're, we've, we've, this is the softening of the American mind. Um, Keith says the gender pay gap is only in corporate America. Blue collar jobs don't see gender. I'd like to dig into that a little bit. Um, and then Don says equality feels like oppression to the privileged. Right. I can, I can see that because it, it's, it's like, if you go, if you go back to, um, you know, like go back to Skinner and, and, condition we've talked about operate conditioning on the podcast before and if you go back to it so you've got positive reinforcement you've got negative reinforcement you've got positive punishment and you've got negative punishment so this would be negative reinforcement you're reducing a beneficial attribute and by doing so because you're moving someone away from where they were used to their norm you're creating it but that totally makes sense is that equality would feel like oppression in that instance Right. And what do you guys, what do you guys think about the idea that um, the gender pay gap exists in corporate America, but not blue collar America? I honestly don't know enough about the statistics to really comment on that. I think that there's like you mentioned before, there's a lot of factors that come down to the pay gap. Some of them are, I mean, if you really, if you really dig into it, if you look at someone who's been working for 30 years now, that means they start. Go ahead. I would still insist that it, because of the fact that it's more difficult to gain promotions as a woman, there's still going to be a pay gap, even in blue collar jobs. That's I mean, and that, and so that's one of those factors, right? Because it's not always direct correlative pay to, to determine the pay gap. The other thing that comes to mind is I really think, um, and, and I mean, I guess, forgive me for my own bias here, but, I think one of the things that's fascinating to me and is a positive for women is that women have really only been working for about three generations mm-hmm. at, at the at the same equal level or the same competitive level that men are. Right. And right. women have made huge strides in that time frame. I mean, if you go out there, no, there's not the same number of, of CEOs that are men and women, but that number increases every year. And I believe it will continue yeah. to. You know, I, so, I, so I think there's a huge issue with the pay gap. I yeah, think it's the- working itself out to a degree. Yeah, and the CEO chasm is still massive. I mean, the, the the amount of female CEOs is just is minute. Um, here's what Wikipedia say it has to say about the gender pay gap in the U.S. Women's average annual salary have been estimated at seventy eight percent to eighty two percent of that of men's average salary. Beyond overt discrimination, multiple studies explaining the gender pay gap in terms of women's higher participation in part time work and long term absences from the labor market due to care responsibilities, among other factors. The extent to which discrimination plays a role in explaining gender wage disparity is somewhat difficult to quantify a 2010 research review by the majority staff of the United States Congress Joint Economic Committee <clears throat> reported that studies have consistently found unexplained pay differences even after controlling for measurable factors that are assumed to influence earnings, suggesting an unknown, non-measurable, contributing factor of which gender discrimination may be one. Other studies right. have found direct evidence of discrimination. For example, more jobs went to women when the applicant's sex was unknown during the hiring process. Yeah, and see, that's where, that's where the studies, I think that's where the studies really get Mm-hmm. is when you start doing some of the stuff about blinding gender blinding when it comes i actually right. think it's really stupid that we even put a really ultimately you shouldn't even put your fucking name on a resume if someone's looking just at the quality i mean this goes back to to the the content of your character if you're really trying to find the best candidate for something you look at what they've done not who they are and then you find out after and there's uh, some incredible studies particularly in the arts 
um, uh, for some reason, there's an, uh, an absurd bias against female musicians when we talk at like the uh, like the orchestral level. Not like pop and shit like that, but like they, if you're going to go perform, you know, at a for a philharmonic orchestra, there's a tremendous bias against women, and they did a lot of studies where they showed in a blind sample that women were getting picked three or four times more than they were, you know, when they when they were watching the person perform, mm. which That's is interesting, interesting. And, and shitty. Because you think like, the arts would be a place in which women would tend to flourish, because it's right. something that women well, comedy too. Longer. Women struggle like, against yeah. comedy. <laughs> Well, it's just because women aren't funny. No, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. Oh. I didn't even, um, I didn't even get, I didn't, I got, I got nothing a... from you on that. <laughs> well, we know it's a joke, but, and, and, but that's, that's like, an, that's, a, that's an, like, that joke has been around forever. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Scott, Scott says unions uh, have a big factor in blue collar. I, I, I believe he's saying that because, some blue collar jobs are unionized that there's more, um, protection, uh, more progressivism. Yeah. More protection. Um, key says in what jobs a tugboat captain gets a captain's wage, regardless of gender. Sure. Yeah. I saw Keith that. And I've worked tugboat. on the ocean before uh, and I know very few women in positions of power. I mean, there's still a myth out there that women are bad luck on boats. So you're not going to convince no. me with that one. <laughs> <laughs> I get, what he's, <laughs> I get what he's saying, though, because what he's saying is that at the job-to-job level, the salaries the salaries don't change. But right. that's where that's where you have to start looking at factors of how many women are able to hold those jobs or get those jobs in the first place. It, that, this is this is a topic we could do a whole fucking podcast on for sure. You know, um, I think that right. to go to go back to the to the original study by the UK. I think the question, um, the way it's even asked, is is a, is a is kind of a leading question. Has feminism gone too far? I mean, that's that's a leading question to begin with. Like, too far from what? Right. Too yeah. what? There's no... How it the is. fuck do you quantify that? Um, and, and, and even right. worse... That's a really... Even worse... Go ahead. Go ahead, Mike. No, I was, gonna, I was just agreeing with you. I think that's a really bad question. I think that the question leads leads the witness. I, definitely. And then I think on top of that, what the fuck do you mean by feminism in, in the first place? Because are we talking about actual policy changes that have benefited women? Or are we just talking about the collective idea of feminism? Are we talking, I mean, there's, there's so right. much that that needs well, to be, you know, unpacked. For this yeah. And you can, de- you can, you can define feminism to the first wave, second wave, third wave feminism. I mean, there's so many different, um, you know, there's so many different ways, ways people use that terminology. Yeah. That's very difficult. Yeah. I feel like my generation or I, I carry a great deal of guilt for not doing more to contribute to the feminist movement. I feel like there was a huge lull when I was in my twenties that it wasn't, or maybe I just wasn't talking to the right people, but Oh, well, I mean, and that's that's geographic, right? There's a lot of that. Depends if you live in a city, it's possible that it's more likely to be around and you have opportunities to take part in it. You live in, you know, the middle of Iowa, probably not that many feminist rallies in the cornfields. Right. So, Speaking of feminism, why does why do the Karens love the word bougie so much these days? Oh, don't. Because it's a fun <laughs> word. No, but there's this like there's like there's this embracing of this terminology among you know um, 
white women who have a little bit more, you know, capital so, these days and they're wearing cultural shirts. appropriation. They're, we- yes, they're wearing these shirts called bougie. Well, it's interesting because bougie comes from the bourgeoisie, which was a French term class. Um, or upper class. Like communists primarily. Well, yeah. they, they were the upper class compared to the proletariat, but right. the bourgeoisie is, is technically the middle class. They're not the aristocracy. They're not right. the proletariat. They are the, the equestrian, if, if you were right. to Rome, they were the equestrians, those who could own horses, and then it became right. the bourgeoisie for French. Well, right, and then here in the United States and and um, in other places, people tried to take back those, the, the minorities tried to take back those words. Here in the United States, the black community took back bougie mm-hmm. as a way of, you know, making fun of rich middle or middle-class white people who thought they were better than them. Um, it's making fun of care. And, and and through some you know internalized racism as well you know there there is there is kind of an emulation happening there and then all of a sudden you see now today all of these white women are taking taking the word bougie from the minorities and and kind of running with it and it's it's bizarre it's, it's bizarre to watch. Yeah. Well, you know that's the thing, and and in in a really strange and reversed. Um, comparison it's like the black community taking the inward back that's what we were and saying using it i mean it's, 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 kind of, it's kind of comparable it's not the same thing but it's kind of comparable i know it's not the same thing but i love the fact that because chris and i were having that conversation the other night and we knew it wasn't appropriate for the podcast but we but i knew if but i brought knew it up was gonna fucking play it. Yeah, okay, that's a leading question mike <laughs> so, so it's like Karen. Karen, it's like she's taking back her word. You know, she's taking back her word. In the Urban Dictionary, it's funny because bougie is is one who possesses swag, but also elite and rich. Um, a critical, and then you look. You look at the 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 you know the other terms of, of bourgeoisie. Uh, Nikki says it's a rap song that has been appropriated by the Karens. Yeah, we looked up the lyrics, didn't we? We did. It was on uh, Urban so Dictionary. Who I I know a, a quite a bit of hip hop for a white man, and that's not one that I'm uh, too familiar with. <laughs> bougie. We we're like we we're like bougie is is the Edward for Karens. It is. <laughs> I still like. What was our? What did we call a group? Of, what did we call a group of Karens? Oh, it was a that. privilege. A group a of Karens is called a privilege. <laughs> Privilege of Karen's. <laughs> a, a bougie privilege of Karen's. A bougie privilege of Karen's. Oh my God, Brooks. Do you, uh, so current event? Do you have anything that you wanted to hit on? Yeah, I, I actually, I have a couple of, of interesting ones. Um, although I, my Google search, my Google search for bougie and Karen's did not show me a rap song that <laughs> I wanted to listen to. Um, Nikki, Nikki, what's bougie, the, I think it's somewhere in the. It's, yeah. What What's the rap song, Nikki? Help us out here. Yeah, please. Uh, so, t- so two things. <laughs> Two things that I saw that was absolutely fascinating to me. Um, three, actually. One, um, let's talk about Beirut real quick, because that was just uh, such a horrifically yes. terrible thing. Um, and I don't know if you guys have seen I mean, I know you two have, but to our listeners, I don't know if you guys have seen the video. But as as atrocious as, it, as the outcome is, go watch the, the video of the explosion in Beirut. I mean, upon first glance, it looks like an atomic bomb went off. I mean, it, it, yeah, it is a, it, they are saying it might be the largest conventional explosion in history. I know there was one off of a ship uh, near Nova Scotia that came close, or they're, so they're trying to, to you know, actually do a measurable comparison. 
but it, it's really terrifying. I mean, most of Beirut or most of the port area of Beirut is leveled now. And, and yeah. people as far as two and a half miles away had glass shatter. Yeah. The island of Cyprus, which is between 180 and 200 miles from Beirut, felt the blast. That's how big yeah. it was. It was and incredible. It's, it's, and, uh, Chef Andre's team's already there on the ground feeding people. That's awesome. I mean, yeah, and, world, and, world Central Kitchen, yeah, they're amazing. And, and, I, and I'll tell you, the, uh, the outpouring, so, so Lebanon at one point in time was a French colony. Mm. And, and the French kind of came out and said, yeah, we're, we've got you. We'll be there. Uh, several of the other EU nations did. But what really blew my mind, so, so um, Lebanon and Israel are currently in an open state of war. They have been for quite a while um, because Hezbollah, which is a, a militant uh, Islamic um, faction, has been able to use uh, Lebanon as kind of a home base for a long time. But Benjamin Netanyahu, the prime minister of uh of Israel came out and said, listen, we might be in an open state of war, but we, we're sending help. Like we will be there to, to provide aid for, for this. And that's, I mean, that's humanity at its finest. Yeah. That's, and that, and that's what we need, amazing. what we need to aim for. Not this fucking bullshit where we've got two 70 something year old guys who are trying to figure out who's the least dimension. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, Beirut was struggling you know, before yeah. COVID-19, COVID-19 hit them pretty hard. So they're already struggling with COVID-19. They're already in the midst of a pandemic. They were struggling before this when it came to, you know, you they're talk about, you, you talk about the bourgeoisie and the proletariat. I mean, the, the working class in Beirut is just, I mean, they're just stepped on there. There's very little opportunity. There's very little, um, you know, vertical mo- movement when it comes to one's ability to, 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 to move up in the world. And, you know, and then this blast and you know we thought you know people thought it was israel president trump comes out and says you know there was an attack i talked to my generals i'm pretty there was it was definitely an attack and you're like and now granted it there i thought i i thought there could have been foul play as well i thought somebody could have you know been been attempting and and maybe maybe it's a possibility but the more and more we look at it the more and more it looks like this was brought up to the judicial system in Beirut over and over and over again. This was a 2015 shipment, I believe, of ammonium uh, nitrate. Yeah, it was six years, six years old. Yeah, yeah, that was that's been sitting that accidentally got rerouted to Beirut. It wasn't even supposed to go there. It was and a then, Russian ship, I think, wasn't it, or Ukraine? I can't something remember. Like that. I can't yeah. remember if it was a Russian ship or not, but I know that the ship was not supposed to go there. It was routed there, and the owner of the ship abandoned the ship. And so all of this ammonium nitrate was stored in in that port and port officials came to the judiciary multiple times over the last six years and said, you guys have to do something about this. You have to do something. And the judiciary just fucking sat on its uh, bougie ass and did nothing. It was 2,750 tons. So, right. so and, and Mike brought this up to me. He and I were talking the other day. So the, the Oklahoma City bombing was done using ammonium nitrate. It's a very, very volatile chemical. It's a great fertilizer, but it's a hell of an explosive, too. That was, that was what? It was two tons? So 4,000 pounds? Yeah. He used yeah, two we and a half tons. into it the other night. So, so almost 1,000 times the magnitude, at least in terms of, of the, the payload, compared to the Oklahoma City bombing. And that alone was a terrible explosion. So just yeah. give you give you some scale there. 
you yeah, know, that killed, um, that killed 163 people in Oklahoma City, and it it damaged or destroyed 350 buildings outside of the the main yeah. building that was that was. Uh, and I, I think remember. that includes glass blow, right? So if all yeah, the windows probably, but this was a thousand times well, that amount, horrific. and it it looked like a fucking nuclear bomb. I, I it remember looked like I first it was yeah, when I first saw the video and you just you see that fire and you see the smoke and then you're not prepared and then all of a sudden kaboom this thing just explodes. It looks like a nuke. I, I saw another video um that my buddy sent me and he actually sent it to me privately because the guy who was filming it died. And the guy was the guy was filming it and he was on a street and it gives you this perspective on the street and he's filming the smoke coming up and then this blast and it just the the like you see, you see down the street. It's probably like five blocks, and then you see a T a T street with with people just driving back and forth. And then all of a sudden, it goes whoosh. So every single car, every everything in between that blast and that that guy was just incinerated, and it was just devastating. And you know, it, it, and if the fire hadn't been going on already. The, light, the loss of life would be even greater. Fortunately, there was a lot of evacuation that was already in the process yeah. because the fireworks had started going off. So, so for those of you who aren't familiar, there was, a, there was a, I guess, a shipment of fireworks caught fire, started blowing up. It looked very similar to when that firework factory in Tianjin blew up in 2015 or whatever it was. And so it looks like that. You see all these fireworks, big fire, and then just next thing, mushroom cloud and an actual field of force that you can see it's so powerful. They said the equivalent, I think it was one and a half kilotons of dynamite, which is how we, you know, we measure nuclear weapons. So it was in the nuclear range, even though right. it was a conventional weapon. I mean, it's just, it's oh. not weapon, so, sorry, a conventional explosion. I wanted to read you this just because I can't remember the name of this journalist. I love him. I follow his page, um, but he goes, he just calls it gin and tacos. But he posted this from one of the um, internet aficionados who was talking about Beirut. And he said, by the way, I'd have to see pretty clear-cut evidence that wasn't a bomb. I'd have to see pretty clear-cut evidence that that wasn't a bomb in Beirut. I've played enough Call of Duty in my life and watched enough World War II in color to know what a bomb detonating looks like, and that was 100% a bomb. Okay, well, so he's, he's both incredibly fucking wrong and right at the same time. Yeah, it was a bomb, technically, any large amount of explosive payload that explodes is a fucking bomb. By definition, right. Right. was it a was it a military detonation? No. Was this an attack? No. I mean, that's it. at the end of the day. I mean, if you take a bunch of gasoline and you put it in a bucket and you light it on fire and it explodes, it's a bomb. Right. You know, did the Air Force send it? Probably not. Right, but this this idiot was trying to say that it in his expert opinion. All my call of duty time. <laughs> and if you want to read douche. about some very interesting bombs with some great fiction, um, Still Life with Woodpecker is one of my favorite Ooh. Tom Robbins, and that book is hilarious. I will read that. Yeah, uh, I've, I've, a, a strange, strangely enough, while we're talking about bombs, so once upon a time, when this uh, that cute little kid behind me up there was 11, uh, and I and and Your I got lit. Story. Well, when, well, so when I get, got lit on fire, and it was a, it was a gasoline explosion because we're dumbass kids playing with fire. Shit happens. Oh yeah. So but, was that it? That you guys were playing with fire and gasoline? 
Yeah, so we had a bucket of gas and it caught fire and I told my buddy to kick it over and apparently he mistranslated that as kick it in my face. Um, but the uh, but the interesting thing about it, though, is that when the news picked it up, uh, I was making pipe bombs in the garage. Uh, I was going to go attack a school. I mean, it, it was just absolutely absurd. Yeah. Oh, no. Way more. I think farm kids are allowed to just build bombs whenever yeah, they want. Yeah, you can do whatever are. the fuck you want to. Yeah. No, I just, <laughs> we, I, I trust did, me, that was not even the most dangerous thing I did. It just happened to be the one that got me, you know? I didn't, so. I didn't realize your in, your incident got picked up in the media and they were making, uh, making, uh, speculations about it. Wild. Story. Yeah. Like four, like four or five different news channels, and they were all wrong. It's, I wish I could find the footage. It's got to be somewhere. But um, oh man, I'd love that. Yeah, yeah, we got to find it. Um, so, so, and obviously, the Beirut thing is a is a horrible tragedy. Um, and and one of the things that that's interesting to me is to see the response um, from a lot of different places because Lebanon is in the Middle East, uh, and Hezbollah has been a, a terrorist organization for a long time that's operated out of there, but. Lebanon itself is actually a pretty progressive nation comparatively. And it's, that's why, you know, to me, this is, I won't say even more unfortunate because it's terrible no matter who's going through something like that. But this is a country that could quickly be, uh, you know, another Jordan or Kuwait or a nation that, that's successful without having a despotic and, you know, authoritarian leadership. And, and here, you know, they're already, like you said, they're already in trouble and then this happens i mean it's just really well and i i heard i can't remember which news source it was but they were saying that like whoever's in charge of that sort of thing they they had been warning authorities about how dangerous it was to be storing that for years and telling them that they they were they knew yep yeah the port the port authority brought it to the judiciary's attention over and over and over again they did nothing so you know it's it's a bureaucratic lack of concern for i they were they were they were just like oh that hasn't blown up yet so i, I i'm sure it's well not yeah they're far. rolling the dice right they're yeah. rolling the dice so i've actually got not anywhere near a wealthy neighborhood right it's exactly yeah. exactly <laughs> well you say that but some of those high rises that got blown up were really good really really nice i mean some of the video footage were from beautiful apartments that are probably no longer yeah. there but um, i mean you know they, they didn't do the math you know the, the judiciary oh, yeah. didn't do the math. They they did. They were like the eh. removing it versus the cost of letting it blow up. I mean, it's the orders of magnitude different, right? Right. Exactly. Um, so I've got I've got two more things that I wanted to kind of touch sure. on, and they're probably shorter than than that. Um, before we get into our main topic, one, and I found this fascinating. Have you ever heard the um, expression "the four boxes of liberty"? Uh no. So this was interesting, and, and I just kind of stumbled upon this, um, but I found it absolutely fascinating. It originated, um, I think they said, yeah, in the 1830s is where it originated. But it's, it's basically as, as citizens of the United States, there's four boxes that, that help keep our liberty, our freedom free. The first is the ballot box. And, and you're, go- you're specifically talking about liberty, not democracy, just to be clear. Correct. Yeah, this is, this is liberty at its truest uh, right. individual freedom, not national democracy, right? right? And actually, I started off with the wrong one. The first one's the soapbox. We have a right to freedom of speech, and we can utilize that as our as our First Amendment right to oppose our own government. The second which, is the which, ballot which we, t- which we tend to do right here every Friday yeah, at 5 p.m. Uh, yeah, we're, we're, we're some irascible schmucks, but, you know, <laughs> the, uh, the second's the ballot box. You have the right and authority to go and use your vote to make to utilize your liberty. The third 
is the, um, why is the third one the one that I'm forgetting? The third is the, uh, oh, the jury box. So, and this one, this one's the one that I think might be a touch of a stretch, but essentially it's, if you were to go out and commit a crime against your own government, but your jury felt that you were right in doing what you did, they would choose not to evict you, or um, sorry, they would choose not to convict you, uh, convict you. And in doing so, you would have the freedom or the liberty of the jury box, your peers agreeing with your decisions. And then the fourth is the ammo box or the cartridge box. At the end of the day, ultimately, if the government has really start, stopped being a tool of the people, then, and this is where the Second Amendment really truly came into play a long time ago when we didn't have nuclear weapons, is you oppose the government by force. Right. Uh, so it's interesting. I just thought conceptually it was a fascinating idea. And then apparently several politicians throughout history have mentioned it. Um, and then uh, during the uh, the abolition movement, Frederick Douglass picked up on it and basically said that, that African-Americans have, should have and, and will have the same access to the four boxes of liberty that, that white folks do. That's interesting. Um, I've never heard of those four boxes. I've never heard of it either. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I appreciate that. And um, the last one, which one was, what was the last one? The ammo box. Ammo box, yeah. right. So, yeah, sure case, box. yeah you, made, you made an interesting um, point there, uh, subtly. And your point was, this was, you know, the Second Amendment before there was nuclear weapons that the government possessed. You know, it, yeah. I, can, I can have an AR-15, um, but is that going to do me any good against a, a nuclear holocaust for my own government? Now, I don't foresee... Because I, I always thought this. I was like, well, the Second Amendment doesn't matter anymore because the government can just blow us off the face of the planet. And then the more I think about it, the more I'm like, well, that's not exactly true. Because if the government's going to institute martial law, that's very different than blowing, than, than nuking right. your citizens. And that's never come more clearly into focus for me than with current events and, and seeing Definitely. the protests and going, oh, you know, and seeing the armed black militia in, in uh, March on Stone in, Mountain. In that was incredible. Oh, yeah. Yeah, in Georgia as well, um, and and seeing that and going, oh, okay, I, I think I was, I think I was wrong in thinking that you know the the people arming themselves couldn't hold a candle to the government because, it, as a matter of fact, in a guerrilla war, the American people with a shit ton of guns could do quite well against the government. The the difference would be, and this is where you're right, because I mean, no one, you don't nuke your own country. It's just stupid. Um, but one of the things that they, that I would say is. If the military got involved, and when it's the Department of Homeland Security and some local cops, I mean, th there could be some play. But the military gets involved and predator drones come into effect and you've got a leadership that gets annihilated by a cruise missile that, you know, it, it, it's it's right. not a... It's, it's, it's kindergartners versus the varsity team when it well, really get down you're, to it. But you're right. And we've seen it and we saw it. We've seen it before. We've seen it in Tulsa. We've seen it in, and it wasn't necessarily military, but it was supported um, by local. Yeah, Tulsa was National Guard, I think, right? Was it National Guard? I thought it was private citizens. It was, and they unfortunately had the armed support of National Guard. Ah. It's really a shitty, shitty scenario. Um, right. But but your point still, may, I mean, I, I agree with you. I still think that one of the things that you will see is when you when you have an armed militia appear and show up and peacefully utilize their rights, the cops are not throwing tear gas at the guys who have a bunch of fucking weapons. Right. <laughs> They're not. They're just right. not. Um, the other thing that I really wanted to, to hit on, because it, it fascinated me, is I saw a study, and this was really interesting, and I think it speaks 
to the direction that a lot of um, different parts of the world uh, are going and maybe questioning. Uh, it was a study done by <clears throat> the uh, University of Oxford. Is that right? Am I making it up? Yes, Oxford. So Oxford University went and they got uh, several, 400 people from the U.S., 209 individuals from the Juarez area of Mexico and 351 Iranians. And they did a study where for the religion that the particular person uh, prescribed to, they gave them a list of that was a combination of both real things from their holy text and made up stuff. So uh, a couple of the examples, <laughs> a couple of the examples from Christianity a couple of the examples for Christianity were um, the Army 17 and Soren's Temple, which are not, they're not real things, they're not biblical, they don't exist. They're just made up concepts. So what they did, though, I'm was they went... with either of them. Yeah, because they're not real. They're just some shit they made up specifically for <laughs> the study. Okay. So okay. what they did then was All they right. asked people to take the list and from like 1 to 10, determine how familiar you are with that religious concept. And what they found was that people who bullshitted their familiarity with non-existing religious concepts for their own religion. Again, this is not, we're not crossing divides here. This is, I'm a Christian. This is what I believe. And I'm saying, yeah, I'm right. super familiar with that concept. It's not right. real. It's not something that the people who falsified their familiarity were more likely to believe in religious aggression uh, and support statements <sighs> such as, I would shoot someone if God, uh, if I believed God wanted me to. And the modern world needs no mercy toward the wicked. So essentially, the people wow. who are more the likely who are to believe in religious informed. violence mm. have no fucking idea about their own religion. And it's a really sad, really sad thing, right. in my opinion. Who are less informed. Well, you brought this up last week, and there was a concept. I can't remember the the law or the the principle, the psychological principle that you brought up. Did it start with a K or something? Where you're talking about the more you believe you know about a oh, subject. Oh, yeah. Dunning-Kruger effect. The Dunning Kruger effect, yeah, mm -hmm. and and that that seems like it specifically is what the psychological process is going on in this study. Very much, yeah. The less educated you are, the more you believe you know about stuff. That's terrifying. It sums up humanity by itself. Yeah, yeah absolutely. In Bible school, we used to sing a song called "I'm in the Lord's Army." <laughs> and I mean, I get that if, if the Lord's army is the Salvation Army and your job as, as a soldier is to go out there and help people, sure. Yeah, but I'm sure Don probably knows the words. It's really an awful song for children to sing. I just remember uh, the <laughs> the Lord said to Noah, "You're going to build an arky arky." Um, yeah, yeah, I remember that one. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, actually, uh, I've spent way too much time singing hymns as a kid. I want to share this real quickly. So we're going to get into our topic in uh, the next five minutes here, our main topic for today. But I want to share this real quick. I read an interview um, with the apparent, you know, the most controversial billionaire on earth at the moment, Bill Gates. Um, and so why, why is he the most controversial billionaire? Dude, have you not have you not been following no, because, QAnon lately? Because he's part oh, of all the Jesus Christ. Yeah. Because people he's believe to that save everybody, but he can't make yeah. a vaccine. So so in 2015, he did a TED talk about pandemics and warning the American people and the world that there was going to be pandemics. And we all know that Bill Gates is famous philanthropic philanthropically for vaccine production. So people think that he's, from malaria. 
specifically for malaria. That's right. And, and, um, polio as well. He, he's vaccinated thousands of people in Africa, oh, wow. um, to help them with, with polio. Um, and, wait, wait, and like, wait, wait, wait. Oh, okay. Okay. Polio. Got it. Polio. Yep. Um, so anyway, so, you know, he's very controversial these days, which is in, in my opinion, pretty crazy, um, because he, you know, people are like, oh, well, you know, he's, he's a, he's a capitalist. And, and it's like, well, yeah, he was, but he's now a philanthropist. Like he's, he's, ch- he's got the money. He doesn't need the money. No, he does not need the money. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, and people go, well, it's about power. It's about this. And it's like, okay, just fine. Like, let's just take a moment and open our minds and imagine that Bill Gates is not a fucking conspiracy uh, monger who wants to put um, GPS chips in your fucking vaccine, considering you have a fucking cell phone as it is. So I, I, well, did, I, I have a question. Yes. What's his take on demon semen? Uh, I don't know. Don, could you do me a favor and look that up? <laughs> do not look that up, Don. Please do not Google that. All right, but go ahead, please, with your... Uh, Yes, uh, Glenn commented. That's why there are thousands of different kinds of Christians. Just make up what you like the best. Um, referring back to your back back to your religion. We, we can start a church if that's what you guys are telling me to do, because that's what I'm hearing. Yeah, the Church of Cocktails and Calamity. Church of Calamity. Um, and we could get out of paying taxes that way. And if there was a federal relief fund, we can get in on that too. So. Oh, actually, okay. Well, I've got one more thing after you do this before you okay. do the main topic because that'd be fucking hilarious. <laughs> All right. So anyway, there was there was a, a couple questions that he was asked during the interview with Wired that I thought were particularly important in the age of COVID nineteen, and um, that we should we should talk about quickly because this guy this guy is working with the government to try to get this shit under control. Um, so the person for Wired says, at this point, are you optimistic about the outcome of COVID-19? And he says, yes. You have to admit there's been trillions of dollars of economic damage done and a lot of debts. But the innovation pipeline on scaling up diagnostics on new therapeutics on vaccines is actually quite impressive. And that makes me feel like for the rich world, we should largely be able to end this thing by the end of 2021 and for the world at large by the end of 2022. That is only because of the scale of the innovation that's taking place. Now, whenever we get this done, we will have lost many years in malaria and polio and HIV and the indebtedness of countries of all sizes and instability. It'll take years beyond that before you'd even get back to where you were at the start of 2020. It's not World War One or World War II, but it is in that order of magnitude as a negative shock to the system. I was like, that's fucking interesting. Um, and he's, right. he's absolutely right, too. I, I think so. I mean... It, uh, and, and then they, they go on to ask, are you concerned that in our rush to get a vaccine, we're going to approve something that isn't safe and effective? And he says, yes. In China and Russia, they are moving at full speed ahead. I bet there will be some vaccines that will get out to lots of patients without the full regulatory review somewhere in the world. We probably need three or four months, no matter what, of phase three data just to look for side effects. The FDA right. to their the FDA, to their credit, at least so far, is sticking to requiring proof of e- efficacy. So far, they have been—they have behaved very professionally despite the political pressure. There may be pressure, but people are saying no. Make sure that that's not allowed. The irony is that this is a president who is a vaccine skeptic. Every meeting I have with him, he is like, "Hey, I don't know about vaccines," and and have you and you have to meet with this guy Robert Kennedy Jr. who hates vaccines and says spreads crazy stuff 
about them. This is the conversation between one of the richest people in the world who is a philanthropist and the president of the United States. <gasps> that sounds great, Bill, but have you talked to Robert Kennedy fucking Robert Kennedy Jr.? This vaccines are crazy. He goes well, on to say, okay, so go ahead. Sorry. My cousin, who's very pro vaccine, her husband works for Lilly. Um, <laughs> a little biased there, but <laughs> yeah. But she, we were talking about this yesterday. We were talking about rushing this is the worst decision sure. that could possibly oh, yeah. be made. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. So you know, even people who are <laughs> well, you know, I, and, here, and here's the thing. I think I think the fact that that you have to in this day and age use the word pro vaccine is like the stupidest fucking concept ever. Like, what are you, what are we, a bunch of fucking ludites? We're not going to use the technology and science that we have right. developed to benefit ourselves as a species? It just doesn't make any sense. It, right. And, it, you know, my take on, on all the conspiracy theorists it's, in the world. They're just, it also comes back to your Kruger, your Kruger-Denning effect, right? Or what was yeah. it? What was it? Dunning, Dunning Kruger effect, yeah, absolutely. Right. The less you know about it, the more confident you are in your own bullshit. You know, yeah, um, but, but but I, I think when we talk, so let's, so let's talk about Bill Gates, right? So if you want to talk shit about Bill Gates, uh, be my guest. He was a an absolutely cutthroat businessman who destroyed competition, uh, did a lot of it in a less than savory way. He certainly many times should have been the target of, well, he was the target of Sherman Antitrust, the Sherman Antitrust Act. It right. never really stuck the way it should have. But then this guy, he goes out there like a fucking evil genius, accrues all of this wealth and could have turned out to be a total asshole. No, he decides the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation is going to convince other billionaires to take their wealth and give it back to the people, the whole world, not just, you know, their local area. This guy is like, I mean, I'm not going to say he's the next Jesus, but he's doing a lot more than pretty much anyone else on the planet is for, for global humanity. He really is trying, at the very least. I, I agree so with to, that. So, and to, I, so to think, no, go ahead, please. That's no. Well, I was just saying I agree with that, and I think that you know he's made mistakes, and I think that's where he gets his flack from. Like for example, you were talking about him being a ruthless capitalist. He was a ruthless oh, yeah. capitalist. He was a ruthless fucking capitalist and he benefited from that now he came to a point in his life where he wanted to give back and he's made mistakes there too right he's 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 you know been in the vaccine industry trying to get trying to trying to cure the the most deadly disease in the world which is malaria Malaria. he's been trying to eradicate malaria now he's a numbers guy so if you're somebody who has a lot of empathy you're not going to like Bill Gates because Bill Gates is willing to sacrifice a child to save millions. He's a pragmatist. He is a cold, calculating pragmatist. Absolutely. Okay, so then Common Core. <laughs> <laughs> he's the proponent of Common Core. Kristen's well, like, then, she's like, then he can she's like, fuck himself. But <laughs> she's like, Bill, Bill Gates was a huge nerd growing up, and he wants everybody to be a huge nerd. <laughs> There's actually um, there's an incredibly fascinating backstory about how Gates got where he was, as well as a lot of the other guys who were in that part of the world. Uh, and it's it's actually really hit hard by Malcolm Gladwell in the book Outliers. Uh, he was at a specific school that just so happened to get some some Karens got together and raised some money and put a, a computer in like the school basement. And he and like four or five other dudes had an opportunity to learn coding back before anyone else had the shot. And they had the time and the money and the availability 
And I mean, that's it. That's his story right. front to back. Right. Um, and, and it's fast, super fascinating. We need we need to do a show on meritocracy because I think this is a very confusing subject for people. People believe that it, meritocracy basically is the idea that you everything is based on merit. So your success in the world is based on your merit and your skills and, and what you that's, give into that's the world. That's not how the world works. That's not how the world works because there's luck involved. And so when you're a capitalist or when you're somebody who has experienced luck or privilege and you get to the top and you believe that you made it there purely because of your own merit, that is so so fucking self-delusional and that ideology is what allows people who are in the 0.1% who are not people who want to give back like Bill Gates, but to become these horrid, horrid people. There's your segue into our main topic right there. There is, there, there absolutely is. So our main topic for today is, is the American dream dead have wall street and mainstream become so polar opposite that we're actually pulling against each other and ripping apart America by the seams. There you go. I'll turn I mean, and that's it. And, and, and so I think, <laughs> I, I, I think that, I think that the, the beginning of that is to question whether or not our belief in meritocracy is a foundational principle that has allowed us to get where we are. And I think the answer is yes. Just because yeah. someone has, because there is, and I would love to. I'm sure there's some great, some some great psychological studies on this. But I would love to see the research that we treat people who are successful with a level of respect that we wouldn't someone, regardless of their their personal attributes, their own success garners them respect that we wouldn't give to someone who's less successful. And that's mm-hmm. and that's the case. I mean, look look at Elon, right? Like, everyone loves Elon. I used to love Elon. We've heard my recent rantings about him. He's a goddamn lunatic. But, you know, (laughs) that aside, that aside. He's not gotten to the Bill Gates uh, point yet. He's still working for his name. Doesn't come back around. Doesn't come back around yet. (laughs) But, you know, and that's the thing, right? And this is is a a perfect example. We go back to the 2016 election. Donald Trump's a billionaire. He'll know how to run the country because he'll run it like a business. Where did you get any of that? Right. You know, and, and, and that's that's the, that's where that idea of meritocracy it leads is. us and astray. That, it leads us know, astray. I think that if we could have just added one word to that, if we wanted to elect someone who would run the country like a small business, that might have been a good choice. Just that well, one word I mean, was in there. Maybe. But, you know, here's the thing. We're not. We're a big business. We are. The issue is, so, I mean, maybe Bezos would be a better. But, again, that's a terrible idea because right. those things do not, they're, they're intransigent. They don't well, move from one concept to another. Right. And that's how you get people in the dust bowls. And that's how you get farmers. And that's how you get folks who are otherwise opposed to giant corporate interests, generally speaking, to vote for a Donald Trump. Because there's no reason for those people to vote for Donald Trump. There's no reason for them to believe that if we ran America like a Donald Trump business, that we'd be more successful, other than the fact that we believe in meritocracy. We believe because he was able to position himself as that sort of, um, having that sort of success, that 
wow, he must have it. He must have the thing. And Donald Trump has been playing into this narrative from a marketing perspective since day fucking one, since his reality television shows. And he's been duping the people with the Dunning-Kruger effect for a very long time, teaching them one thing or two things. Reagan did it in the the 80s. Teaching them one or two things about economics. And then now they're masters of economics and they need to vote for anybody who has a successful business. But it's we've played it out before, and like I'm too, I'm I'm too young to remember all about the Reagan campaign and everything that kind of led up to that. But we elected Schwarzenegger as a governor. I, I he was one of the best elections we've ever had. I actually think incredibly highly of Arnold Schwarzenegger because he's one of the few you people. You know this man's wife. And his. I'm um, not saying he's a great dad. I'm not saying within the same year. Children. And that's and so, but that's so that's another that's another falsity of meritocracy, because someone is an ethical fool, and is a shit dad doesn't mean he's going to be a shit governor, and and that's and that's where we run into these issues. Just like a lot of people dislike Hillary Clinton as a person. That doesn't mean that in no way identifies whether or not she'd be a good president. Doesn't mean she couldn't make tough decisions and draft policies for the people. I, 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 that's fair. Well, and, and, and that's why, so, but Christian, I'm with you. I get it. Like, am I going to, if I had a daughter, would I let her marry Arnold? Pro- well, probably. Yeah, it's fine because I like her. Well, that's but, not really your decision. Though. No, it's not. Well, I mean, <laughs> yeah, not yet. we're working on that. You're right, Mike. Feminism's gone too far. You can't marry your daughter off to. to, to I mean, think Arnold. of the dowry. Think of the dowry. Think, right? think of the dowry. Yeah, I'll um, get like a Hungarian tank or some shit. It'll be awesome. Let me just get, let's get caught up on some comments. Uh, Don from a while back said um, the, the demon semen is hella good. I'm um, just getting back to your previous point. We're making um, t shirts of that, Don. It's happening. Yeah, demon semen. Um, Glenn says pastor calamity, so we could create like a that. a church, and we could have you know the pastors of calamity. I like that. Um, Don says I'd come. I've come to church for that. What's our holy text? Who's our Messiah? We'll we'll figure that out. We're, we might be leaderless. I think that's probably the way organizations uh, anti organization. We're gonna we're gonna be an anarchist church. An anarchist church. Oh, I love it. An anarchist, leaderless, Marxist church. No. Um, Nikki's, oh, Nikki's referring to Bill Gates. She said that three ghosts came to visit him on Christmas Eve. I would think that's Bill Gates. Yeah. That's, I would, I'd watch that. I'd watch that version for yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. I'd watch that version as well. And then Joseph says, don't forget the the contrapositive that we despise unsuccessful people as though it's purely a personal failing. Good point. Ooh, so that's a so, really good one. Yeah. In Which show was, that? was that Lopez or Richard? Lopez? Yeah. Joe Pistos is Lopez. Yeah, so that's a really good point. So going back to meritocracy, if you're in the upper echelons, if you made it all the way to the top, then you're automatically respected and appreciated. If you're on the bottom, then you're automatically spit on and um, uh, focused on as if you had a personal failing. So any, you know, if you look at a homeless person and you're like, well, that person could have worked his way up and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, having no knowledge of whether or not this person is a veteran, having no knowledge of whether or not this person has ever been through schizophrenia or bipolar disorder, or, I mean, you name the amount of things that could cause somebody to be homeless or on the street or as not succeeding in a capitalistic society. And, you know, it's, it's just, it's appalling that we, we, we point to these people as if they're purely personally failing. Well, you know, and, and, and along that same lines, even if we don't go all the way down to 
someone who's homeless. But I mean, you look at someone who decided not to be Arnold and wanted to be a great father and a great husband and everything and decided that, that was where the value in their life came from. Material wealth is just such a fucking horrible marker for determining someone's true merit. I think, you know, it's right. Some some of the most unscrupulous and shitty people on the planet are wealthy yes. because right. they just happen to be sociopaths and it works out very easily for them. I mean, most right. of the most, right? If you're thinking yeah. about like 1% up there, the czars and the, they're not usually very good people. Right. And that's why, and that's why, that's why Gates, I think is, is an actual, an excellent success story. Uh, even from a personal standpoint, because he did, he, he went out there and he was shit. He was the fucking operating system czar. For a long time. And then once he had it, he decided, you know what? He's like uh, Marcus Aurelius, who was the who was the one of the most powerful and influential emperors of Rome. But when he was done, he just said, peace. I'll see you later. I'm going to go I'll be on my farm. You know, that's, right. he gave it back. Just like Washington. You know, he could have been president for Vita and said, no, nah, I'm going right. to do, do something better than that. And I think that I think that's a better question of merit than someone's personal or their wealth, and that's a shitty one. And 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 this is interesting that you brought up uh, one of the crossies because I found a new one today I'd never heard of. Uh, it's incredibly apropos, I think. It's called cacistocracy. I've never heard of this. Cacistocracy. K a k i s t o c r a c y. Cacistocracy. Okay. It is a government by the least suitable or competent. Citizens possible. <laughs> yeah, so there's that. How do you define that? Uh, yeah, how do you just define that they're the least competent? Uh, they probably yeah. made it to office. It's probably like, the easiest way to define mm, that. That would be one way to do yeah, it, for sure. Or like, you know, the, the fans at a festival being like a bunch of people on ecstasy at that, that kind of festival? Yeah. Nah, they would get my vote before a lot of the assholes who are running the country right now. That's probably true. Um, let, let's, let's, let's reel this in for a second and talk a little bit about let, – let's bring this back to our main topic, which is what to what extent uh, – you know, to what extent has the pandemic had an influence on Wall Street versus Main Street? And to what extent it is is it speeding up what we're what we've always already been seeing for a long time? And so, when you look at some specific factors in the economy, you look at the GDP. So, if you annualize the GDP up to where we are today, we're, we've actually dropped thirty per. Uh, hold on, thirty-two point nine percent. Thirty-two point nine percent. So we've had a a drop in our GDP of 32.9%. And to give you some context, the Great Depression, we lost 30% of our GDP. So the question is, why are we not in a in a genuine depression? Like what it, what is different about what's going on now versus what happened in 1929 that has not driven us into a genuine depression because these are, you know, these are statistics, they're not driving factors. So we got to go, okay, right. wait. If we are, you know, if we if we've lost more GDP annualized over 2020 than in 1929, why are we not in a Great Depression? We have to take back and say, okay, well, maybe the circumstances are different. Maybe what's happening is being viewed differently by Wall Street. Maybe it's being viewed differently by Main Street. But Main Street doesn't have a lot of options, 
right? Main Street is Main Street. You you go to the store, you pay your money, they stay in business, period. Wall Street is different. Wall Street operates on speculation. It operates on data points. And so I can only speak for myself, but the day the market crashed, I was like, well, it looks like a good time to get in the market. And this was in March. I think it's like around March 19th. And I was like, okay, I've got some cash. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to go ahead and invest in the market. And I guarantee you, I'm not the only one who did that. So now you have people investing in the market. So also, and I'm not to get too dry and boring here, but bond prices. So if you're a bond investor, if you, if you buy bonds and they mature over time, the investment growth of that is so low compared to inflation that it's not a good place to put your money. So if you see the stock market drop, then you're like, okay, it's a good time to invest. And you have lots of people across the country and around the world investing in the U.S. market. You're seeing the market go up, even though you're not seeing GDP go up. So that, that's that's, yeah. that's what I wanted to. That that's what I understand about why Wall Street is still doing well, even though Main Street, you know, we're we're out forty what forty million jobs or some shit. That's, um, that's incredible. And and so so I so that was a, a perfect opening, and, and and thank you for kind of setting the stage there for everyone. I think that there's a bunch, and so there's a lot going on. And I actually had part of this conversation earlier today because not just did GDP drop 32.9%, but our deficit is up $3 trillion over year to date last year, right? Wow. And, and a lot of that. Trillion. A lot that, of that is because how, how of many, money spent for COVID. How many billions is that? That is uh, 300 or 3,000 billions. 3,000 billions is a trillion, yeah. right? Yeah. So nine billions. Sorry, 9,000 9, billions. 9, billions is three trillion. No, no, no. no, no. Each trillion is 1,000 billion. So three trillion is 3,000 uh, billions. Got it. Yep. So, so the, but when you get down to that, right? So yeah, and, and we've got, we've got, you know, base, it's, three, it's three and a half Bezoses if we're going to use a unit like that. Three and a half Bezoses. Yeah, if you if you take the most the most wealthy men in the United States and add them together, they do not equal three trillion dollars. If you take the top ten, I don't think they equal three trillion dollars together. Right, it's that it's right. that much money. But and this is the question that I, that was posed to me earlier today. So with GDP down, deficit up, how is Wall Street still performing? Right, and, and I'll and I'll tell you this: I actually was sitting. Uh, I was in I was in a position just a few weeks ago where I was getting ready to do some investing, and I knew the Senate was not going to pass an additional stimulus bill on time. And unfortunately, the beginning of August just hit. There's a lot of people out there who are not going to be able to pay their rent because they right. didn't get that. Right. I expected that to be a dramatic stock market drop. I really mm. thought um, the second or third, when we start seeing the backlash from the stimulus not hitting, the second stimulus not hitting, that the market would tank for a bit. It didn't happen. And, and I don't have a really good answer as to why, but speculation, I would say, the difference between what's happening right now and what was happening in 1929, and even one of the reasons people aren't as afraid of, of as they were in March, is that we've seen the big businesses continue to operate, and that's the issue. And that's where that segue between Wall Street and Main Street becomes not segue, but that dichotomy between the two becomes even larger, because while right. people are are hurting monetarily. The, the, everyone's still performing. The big businesses are still performing. We're still consuming. 
we're still consuming from those from those big businesses, the Amazons, the Googles, the Facebooks. We're the Walmarts, still, the, the, Walmart, the Walmarts. Yes, absolutely. We're still consuming from those. And in fact, this last week, big tech had their best revenues they've seen in a very long time. So, so yeah. now, and, and that's the other thing to remember, like every, it doesn't just cause wall street's doing well, doesn't mean every stock is doing well. So Correct. wall street, wall street is measured on indices. So you've got the NASDAQ and you've got the Dow Jones industrial average. And they're just, they're basically all they're doing. Cool. They're taking bi- the biggest companies in America and they're putting them in an index and going, okay, we can measure what, what, what we're doing economically by, by these big companies. And so we're well, seeing, you're, 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 right about the, you're right about the Dow Jones there, but the NASDAQ's not an index. NASDAQ's its own exchange, right? Oh shit. We lost Mike. He might, he might be remaking a drink. Oh, okay. I don't know. Um, well, hopefully we get back. So, but the NASDAQ's its own, oh, here it comes. The NASDAQ is its own exchange. Uh, but you're absolutely right, right about the Dow Jones Industrial Average and just right. like the S&P, the Standard and Poor's, yes. they are indexes. They are groups of stocks that have been picked as representative of the overall market. Right. Which isn't necessarily accurate because Correct. you know we are we are seeing and and you make this point all the time about how we don't live in an actual uh, capitalistic society. We, we 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 don't antitrust enough to to breed the right amount of competition that would allow us to live in an actual capitalistic society. Now. It is capitalist in essence, and that means the markets are free generally to do as they choose. Now, how you define capitalism exactly is going to, you know, going to give you a little bit of variation on that. But generally speaking, we are capitalists. But now we're seeing, and, and when you talk about Main Street and when you talk about what's going on on the ground, you start to look at, okay, we've got a lot of Gen Z out there who's protesting every day. We've got a lot of Gen Z who's hardcore socialist. And so... Where do we begin to, you know, how do we start to reconcile these things in our minds from from both a, a Main Street perspective? How do we keep businesses open um, and operating, you know, in a capitalistic society? And then to what extent, you know, do we start to listen to Gen Z and say, okay, we, we do need some socialist programs? Like we've, and, and people argue about this stuff all the time. Like, oh, well, are the police socialist? Are, is, is um, the fire department socialist? Are school socialist? And the answer is those are all social programs they are the answer is yes yeah the answer is yes they're not there to make money but they they operate within the capitalistic system that allows them to operate because there's revenue generated that allows us to fund those social programs and so many in gen z right now don't recognize that they're blind to that and they and they've heard this from people like me and people like you and people you know their parents who have been like well if you don't have jobs and you don't have businesses then nothing operates and they're just so tired of hearing that narrative that they're like fuck it let's start over let's burn it down let's create a socialist system and i whereas i agree with social programs i am so so against socializing the entire government i'm so against doing you know what venezuela has done and doing what russia has done Absolutely. and doing china. And doing and what, what china has done those are dangerous fucking concepts that gen z refuses to see right now and, and, you, and you quickly I think, do you think the majority of gen z is talking about that kind of socialism or are they talking about democratic socialism like finland <laughs> so i don't know that i don't know that there's a good enough divide there to really answer that question, Christian. I, I don't. But what I will say is that that kind of socialism quickly becomes autocracy, very quickly becomes autocracy. 
Um, and, and, and Christian, you're, you're right. I think that they're more on the democratic socialist perspective when you look at the, the, the Bernie followers and that group and, and even like Joe Stein and the Green Party. I don't think Bernie wasn't going to turn us into Venezuela. This, this, and that's the thing. It's like, sorry, go ahead. I, I I just, I, for me, like people have these buzzwords and it's like this or that. And it's like, no, I mean, at the end of the day, we know capitalism creates growth. We know it creates innovation. We know it creates opportunities for people. When it's, when it's competitive, when it's, when it's competitive, exactly. When it's competitive. And it's not, and that's the issue. So, uh, but you know, I listen. I, you're right. Bernie would not have turned us into that. It's not even an interest of his. The, and this is one of the things. So, so Mike and I've talked about this. I think we brought it up on the podcast before. Uh, we are collaborating to put together a uh, an idiot's guide to what we are going to consider our economic treatise of what we think at, here at Cocktails and Calamity. What the U.S. economic system should look like moving forward. We are in no way qualified to do this, uh, <laughs> but it's happening. Um, and one of the things that I think is really important to look at it, and Mike just kind of said this before is, is that, yeah, if there's, if there's not jobs, if there's not production and productivity, then no, there's not tax revenue for social services. There's not. But at the same time, we have allowed, and, and this is it, for, for me, the big reason that main street and wall street are, treated in two totally different ways is that while you and I and everyone else out here who operates on a normal level, yeah, while we get tax credits and we get deductions to a degree, you and me and every person still has to pay their respective tax. That's just it. Corporations, corporations, however, corporations don't, they don't do shit. Now, I don't see. I don't. I don't agree with that. Corporations okay. do. All right. In All fact, right. in fact, corporations are taxed twice. No, didn't Amazon not pay any taxes? Yes, and and That's let me tell you. Let, let me tell you that loophole. So the reason that Amazon didn't pay any taxes is because they give their employees stock benefits, and those stock and benefits act. Those stock benefits acts as deductions against profits. So they're, they literally, Amazon will show no profit because they gave an equal amount of stock benefits to their employees, which has, has eroded their, their visual profit. And that's where I'm saying corporations don't do shit. Because, so if we go, if we look back and, and most remember, corporations this, this don't happened, do that. Most corporations well, don't do the, that. The, well, in it, that's not the only loophole that's available, right? You've got right. everything from offshoring to being a multinational conglomerate. There's more than, than you and I have time to discuss. Right. But when you get down to it, and this was just a few years ago, under the Trump administration, we moved the federal corporate taxation from 35% down to 22%. We dropped it by 13%. And that's for those who aren't utilizing any sort of loopholes or, or write-offs that, that are egregiously unbalanced compared to Main Street. Right. Because at the end of the day, if I decide, you know, listen, I, Mike and Chris, these are some cool motherfuckers. I'm just going to give them a bunch of my money and then shit, you know, I don't get taxed and then hell, they can give it right back to me. No, we don't get to do that. Right. And then, then the even worse double standard there is that we have this garbage piece of legislation called Citizens United that allows corporations to be treated as people. And they're not fucking right. people. They're just not. Right. right, I'm off my soapbox. I was using no, like my four boxes of liberty. <laughs> and we and we've been through it before, but what was the damn reason that they did it? Why did the ACLU support 
citizens united I, I still don't understand why they did it doesn't make sense to me because that's kind of against everything that they would normally we be supporting. we did i don't like we a member of the aclu answered this for us yeah, um, no, like a, a like a, a lawyer for the AC. Well, it's probably because they get to donate more to, to campaigns too. I mean, what's good, you know, what's good for the goose is good for the gander, and that's essentially what happened. Was that a lot of organizations that want thought, thought that it would give them more pull got behind it, right? Only to so, realize that it's fucked their shit up. So in Citizens United, the Supreme Court ruled that independent political expenditures by corporations and unions are protected under the First Amendment and not subject. To restriction by the government, the court therefore struck down a ban on campaign expenditures by corporations and unions that applied to nonprofit corporations like Planned Parenthood, national the NRA, as well as for-profit corporations like General Motors, Microsoft. The decision has sparked a great deal of controversy. Some see corporations as artificial legal constructs that are not entitled to First Amendment rights. Others see corporations and unions as legitimate participants in public debate whose views can help educate voters as they form their opinions, candidates, and issues. We understand that the amount of money now being spent in political campaigns has created a growing skepticism in the integrity of our elections system that raises serious concerns. We firmly believe, however, that the response to those concerns must be consistent with our constitutional commitment to freedom of speech and association. For that reason, the ACLU does not support campaign finance regulation premised on the notion that the answer to money in politics is to ban political speech. So basically, it's a First Amendment. They're defending the First Amendment right of corporations to have an influence on politics and society, yet they do believe that campaign finance reform needs to happen, but it should happen based in the laws that currently exist, not go against the First Amendment. So so here's the issue, right? Here's, here's where you have to decide where you fall on this. Are, are corporations citizens? And if they are, then they should be subject to the rights of the, of the Constitution. They're not. And even They're if they not. were, they'd be evil citizens. <laughs> well, hey, listen. We can't be biased. Whether a person is good or evil, they still get constitutional rights. I, I mean, know. and, and I, I hate to I hate to support it, but I mean that's the thing. You go back, Hitler gets to be Hitler in the United States until he starts harming other people. But he gets right. to do his bullshit and stuff. Just like the, the Ku Klux Klan has a right, the individuals, not the organization, the individuals have a right to freedom of speech. I might hate what I say, but I will defend with my life your right to say it. And that's the case. Yeah. The issue is, is that a corporation is not a fucking citizen. It's true. And right, this, yeah, this, will be, this will be a big thing next week because it's going to really fall into what we'll be yeah. talking about for next week's topic, which is how do we really drain the swamp? Um, but when we get down to, I really think the difference between Main Street and Wall Street is that corporations and financial entities are not treated with the same level of regulation and lawfulness that individuals are they right. get away with murder and yeah, i can't exactly and i and i think i agree i would agree with you guys completely i'm certainly playing the devil's advocate there but i i agree completely i mean there's there's the entire purpose of a corporation is to set up a shelter a distinction between yourself as an individual and the company you operate it's there it's literally it in limits liability name. It limits literally in the name limited LLC limited liability company. The purpose of a limited liability company is to limit your liability as an individual for the actions of your company. And the fact that the Supreme court ruled that a tax, a, vir- a virtual, you know, tax shelter and slash, um, you know, liability safety net is a human being. <laughs> I just, 
I don't. I still don't get it. Well, and that's because it because it benefits them. It benefits all of them. But here's one thing: we really get down to it. Even not at the LLC level. If you're an S corp or a C corp, while you don't have the same limited financial liability that an LLC does, a CEO or any of the C class employees or executives are probably not going to go spend the rest of their life in jail for the bad decisions of the corporation. So you have not only do you have financial liability limitations. But you actually have culpability hmm. limitations. Now, granted, you can do some shit. Uh, you get the SEC after your ass, and, and that changes things a little bit, but not like it would for if it's you or me or someone else. I mean, you almost right. have to go like Rico racketeering and treat these guys like a like a like a fucking gang to get them in jail for the for their bad decisions. Right. Um, just so you guys know out there who are listening, if you have an opinion on this subject, if you want to ask a question, if you have comments, um, we're, I'm happy to have you join actually on yeah, video or audio alone. So I just put the, uh, I just put the link in, um, the comments section. So if you want to jump in, um, feel free now, now, now's a good time. Um, I think we've done a good job of explaining why, uh, Wall Street is still doing so well. I mean, the mo- the money's flowing in. It's it's you know we're seeing big tech with big revenue. All of those things. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Kristen. Well, we didn't cover. Is there a number of how much money in bailout has gone directly to large corporations as opposed to? So uh, there, five hundred and ninety-two billion dollars. Five hundred ninety-two billion dollars went to publicly traded companies. That's wow. my issue. So, that, so that's another that's another reason why Wall Street. If you're is a publicly money. traded company and you need additional funds, sell more stock. <laughs> Do not expect the federal government to bail your bitch ass out. All right, like it's just, and that's that's why there's no competition, and that's my frustration yeah. with everyone saying that we are a free market capitalistic society. We're not. Okay, right. so then. Another hint into why they're still doing well. I just saw this. I don't know how on par this is, and I can't pronounce the first drug company name. Is it Remdesivir? Yes, Remdesivir. Remdesivir manufacturer. Gilead just set the price for the COVID-19 treatment between $2,300 and $3,100 per patient. Estimates yes. the treatment costs approximately one dollar per vial to produce. Oh. yeah. Well, so Great. fuck healthcare. Healthcare as a whole. I mean, that's a that sounds like a free market to me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because because I can't call you. Here's like I call you. Like, hey, how much is that treatment going to be? You're like, uh, I don't know. We got to treat you first, and then we'll send you a bill. So I that's can't call the problem. next. Exactly. Health, healthcare is is the worst of all of the fucking industries. It's the Absolutely. worst. It's not even close. And, and the fact, you know, because I'm not, I'm with you, Mike. I don't think that socializing business is is a beneficial thing for us. But our healthcare might not be something that we really should be like. You know what? Let's see how much we can profit off of making people not die. Like right. that just unto itself creates a, 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 an ethical I mean, quandary that should be easily decided. Should the people who are going to save my life only be worried about a profit? Right. No, I like oppose me. Yeah. Go. Like, what the I was fuck? Saying, 
I was saying it to my to my daughter the other day. I was like, you know, those of us with anxiety issues, you know, it's an issue. It's unnatural. I'm like, wait, I live in a country where if I get sick, I might go bankrupt and leave my children penniless. Like, is my anxiety unrealistic? I'm pretty sure it's realistic. I'm actually starting to think that I'm the one with a problem because I don't suffer from anxiety. Because from from a from a logical standpoint, yeah, when you start to look at the shit that we put up with. I'm really kind of worried about me not being anxious rather than the other way around. What were you going to say, Mike? So what do, well, I was just going to say, what do you say about, you know, if you didn't have large corporations and big companies fueling money into innovation, um, you know, then you don't have the Redesivir, you don't have these other drugs. And so, so you've got to, you've got to take a balanced approach when it comes to this hardline ethics, because money really does drive innovation. It drives people to produce and create. Absolutely. Absolutely. They get the bulk of their money from Americans. Like is because they do not pay in other countries what we pay for drugs. My cousin would tell you it's because there's more regulations and hoops they have to jump through to get their certification in the United States. But I think that's bullshit. That's bullshit. Um, But so, so, and again, I, I, I really think that healthcare and pharmaceuticals is a non, it's a, it's a non-normal case when we talk about big companies because of the, market that they exist in. But I'm with you, Mike. I mean, yes, I, and I'm not against big companies by any means. What I am for is is treating them with the same level of culpability that an individual should be treated with or would be treated with. Pay the taxes, close the loopholes, yeah. and, and, and if, a company, if a company is going to get public money for a bailout, then they should either a not be able to go and repurchase their stock back from from public shareholders, yeah. or they should have to sell a certain amount of their stock back to I mean back to either the government or other individuals. I mean, right. look at look at the Green Bay Packers. They're the only publicly owned NFL team that exists. But it's a system that works. I'm not. I'm, it's it's interesting. It's totally different than everything else. But the but the reason that something like that works is because when it's socialized, that doesn't mean that it's owned by the government necessarily. But what it does mean is that it doesn't have the private ownership that it did before. And that's the thing is we're treating publicly traded companies with the same rights as we are privately traded companies. And once right. you go public. You you should not have those same protections. Once you go public, you never go back. That was <laughs> Something stupid. like that. Something <laughs> I, 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 I like it. I like it. It could also be a joke about public supermarkets, but oh, we, we, well, we have public a- supermarkets one of the best <laughs> privately traded organizations in the state of Florida. We, we have- they do really awful things that nobody talks about. Oh, I think I'm pretty sure all. Uh, pretty sure all. They blocked the banning of styrofoam. They. Mm. Let's see. I think we've got a caller here. If we're not having technical difficulties, keep keep the conversation going. We'll see if we can get Keith in here in a second. Um, you know, I, I agree. I, I I think there there has to be some kind of, you know, I, I think there has to be some kind of governmental regulation when it comes to the healthcare industry. And honestly, like I do believe in socialized medicine. I do believe in. Um, I do, I do, I do believe in the concept. What I have trouble with is the. The first of all, the government's ability to, um, you know, manage it. I'm, I'm very concerned about the government's ability to manage it. It's a concern. Um, 
but and I'm also concerned that if 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 it's not you know if we if we don't have enough money flowing into it, if we don't have enough um, you know corporations who want to make money, then we're not going to have the same kind of innovation. And that and maybe that's a fallacy. I don't know. So I don't think it's a fallacy. But what I do think is I think that you're creating you're creating a situation that doesn't have to occur just because just because healthcare and and again we could healthcare is a topic we should do unto itself. And I think it's uh, we should be talking about non-healthcare companies, just particularly for Wall Street versus Main Street. But right. for healthcare, just because something's socialized doesn't mean it can't make money. And that's the thing. Right. The difference is is how it's regulated, and how how the competition the the lack of competition would be reducing cost by becoming a single payer system for healthcare. Right. That that would knock out right. That that would allow us to negotiate pricing, which we're not able to do now. Right. right. And then the other that, thing to right. So to your point, but isn't that ca- that's that's capitalistic, right? I mean the ability for the government more than our current system. Right. Yeah. Right. And, yeah, and I think that's what I think that's what a lot of people stupid. don't. Yeah, I think that's what a lot of people don't recognize is that the current capitalistic system, the laissez-faire economics um, that we that we so often think of, is that free market. And yes, the market's free, but the market can also be a bully and and create collusion. Sure. They can do all kinds of things to and, and, and healthcare is not a free market. Absorb the ability of giant conglomerates to absorb other companies and oh, to yeah. well, destroy that's the competition. Yeah. That's not cap- right. That's not capitalism. I mean, Correct. to 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 be quite fair. And so, when you're having this argument about capitalism versus socialism, I think this is why this upsets you so much, Brooks, and you bring it up so often. Is because we are, you know, we're touting this laissez-faire economics, but at the same time, we're literally crowding. We're allowing them to buy out and, and destroy their competition. That's not capitalism. There's no competition no, there. There's no competition. And you know, one of the things that you said earlier that I think is an important point is that we've demonized the term socialism. I mean, it goes back to like Joe McCarthy in the 50s and this red scare that we're so afraid that we'll just become the next Russia, which isn't going right. to happen. Hey, Keith. Do we, do we have Keith? Can, can you hear I can him? see him. I can't hear him, but I can see him. Uh, I think he's muted. Can, can we hear you? You guys muted. Can you hear me? Yeah. We yeah, we can hear you. Can you? Cheers. Awesome. Keith, welcome to Cocktails of Calamity. Cheers. Did you yeah, have um so, so or something? Yeah, you should you should definitely grab a beer or a cocktail. Um so this idea, and so so just to give you guys a little bit of a little bit of background, Keith is uh an Alaskan uh an Alaskan man. Um oh, sweet. yeah. <laughs> can you hear us, Keith? <laughs> I sure hear can. some birds. All right, so I'm gonna Keith, I'm gonna mute you when when you get uh when you're settled, let you let me know. Um, all right. So yeah, I mean, you know, we're we're in this place right now where we're, there he goes. There he's got his beer now. Cheers. <laughs> oh, he froze on us. Nope, there's back. Uh, can, can you hear us? <laughs> check, check, mic check. I can. Can you hear me? All right. Yes, we got you. We got you. Um can you so hear Keith, me? Yeah, Excellent. we can hear you. Yes. So, so give us, give us your, give us your take, Keith. You've been listening to the, to the podcast up to this point. What, uh, what did we get wrong? What did we get right from your, uh, from your Alaskan vantage point? Well, this one, um, 
you haven't got me steaming mad like you have in a couple of the other ones. <laughs> I, think, uh, I was texting you furiously on episode seven, I think it was. Um, uh, so yes, because one, you, you, you were upset I don't think because capitalism is the answer. Um, I you don't think, think capitalism is the answer. I think there's so many flaws with it, but, but I don't know a better system. Right. You know, I think, and I think that, that you're in the same boat yeah. with everyone else, Keith. Anyway, I agree. Like a, I feel, I feel yeah, I think it's the best we got for now. I can't think of an alternative. I know uh, I don't. I don't agree with socialism. Uh, I, I don't think, uh, I think, you know, you need to work for what you need to get and give it stuff for free. It doesn't necessarily make sense, but um, I think it's a flawed system. It's based on greed, but uh, it's the best that we've got for the moment. Right. What, what I, real quick, I wanted to, uh, I wanted to ask you, what was, what was, what had you raving angry during episode seven uh, that you were, that you were so upset. What, what, what was that? Oh, there's so, there's, there's so much, Mike. I don't know where to start. I mean, it's going to hijack this whole topic. It's okay. We're, we're, we're almost, we're about wrapping up anyway on this topic. So we can, we can definitely dive back in, but I, I'd, I'd love to, I'd love to take a moment and just get some, uh, some, some listener feedback. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to remember that some of some of them blend together there. Um, sure. There was the one where you said you should arm EMTs and disarm the police. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I don't know that, that we need to disarm the police, but I do like the idea of arming EMTs. <laughs> I haven't really heard that take before, but... <laughs> I'm no, crazy, was, Keith, um, man. I'm crazy. No, it's funny because he, so, he, was, he texted me because so he was listening. Let me ask you that, though. Yeah, go ahead. The... the, the Play that stereo out, okay? So you've, you've got an EMT that show up on scene. Um, someone's, let's say, say they're overdosing, okay? They're overdosing okay. on some heroin or something. So you have the okay. EMTs that show up on scene. Now, they've got guns, right? So not only are they trying to do patient care, but now they've got to worry about the guy behind them that's trying to grab their guns. And right. so now you've taken 100% of their medical focus and you've, I don't know, I'm probably going to worry about my personal safety in my gun a little bit more i might even go more than 50 percent in what would be emt survival at that point um or does it just make more sense to have the guy that's already trained in the firearm that's already unseen because he was driving around town and just had to make a left he didn't have to come from the station to make more sense to have him watch the emts back i mean he may not have been my best idea firearm. keith i'm not gonna trains, lie to you. you know <laughs> he, he trains in de-escalation that's a good point. And well, you know, and that's the thing is is a, a, a well-trained police officer is one of the best resources we can have. And I would like, I, I think we all would like to see that level of training escalate and that level of responsibility for all officers where it should be. I mean, we've said this before. I mean, some of the some of the worst officers out there ruin it for everyone else because most of them are really very very committed to what they do. And, and I only, as we go forward, obviously I only speak for myself. Right? Of course, of course. Yeah, so that's all we do too, man. I get any you. Other area that we work in. But uh, I, the, I can say the guys I work with, it's, you know, I, they're, they're just, they're good dudes and, and no one's there to like get in a fight. And 
I don't, I don't know. There's just so much that sometimes I hear these arguments and I think people are from the outside are saying, well, why are they doing this? Why are they doing that? Why are they doing this? There's usually a reason why we're doing that stuff. I've talked to Mike offline about a lot of this and, you know, he's like, Oh, why would you do this? And I kind of explained it. And he's like, Oh, that kind of makes sense. Doesn't it? <laughs> you know, I don't well, think you know, there's and, and any, I, I can't, I can't imagine any of us putting on a uniform and like, I'm going to go, fuck up the city. I'm going to go take over this city. I'm going to occupy this block. You know, basically we put our uniform on and we're like, Oh my God, I hope I take this off tonight. You know, Dude. Hey, and see, and that's, and, that, and that's, that's a, that's a hell of a point, Keith, you know, and, and 99 point, probably 9% of officers feel the exact same way. And unfortunately, because you're talking about a position where lethal force is involved, that one tiny fraction can have such a huge impact on the rest of the world. Right. And I'd like to take a moment to defend myself because I don't remember. Absolutely. I, it, and <laughs> no, I think that was me. I think that was me, Mike. Was that you? Because I don't remember I saying I don't remember saying we should arm EMTs unless that was unless, definitely me. Unless, unless actually, for example, certainly I should wasn't actually go back. <laughs> What's that? It certainly wasn't my idea. Yeah. No, I, it was me. I think I'm, I'm fairly certain. Oh, oh, did we lose Keith? Keith? Oh, so I hope I hope Keith, Keith yeah, comes back because this. oh there he is. What's that? I I was uh I was being attacked by a German Shepherd dog. <laughs> <laughs> My back. Yeah, you're back. Yeah. I think. I really should take. Oh, I really should now. take notes on these things because now of course they've all lost they've all lost my someone's got to hold us accountable keith we're just a bunch of ruffians spewing bullshit on the (laughs) internet over here so well yeah and just i mean just to give some some context here keith is keith has been on um keith tell us the name of your town but you've been on the police force in your town in alaska for the last what two years Is that right? Yep. Can you hear? Two years. Okay. So yeah. Keith so started listening I to this podcast. He went back. To, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, you. Go. <laughs> Fucking Alaska. Fucking Alaska. Um, let's see. This it's is what you Palmer, get for living in Alaska. In <laughs> it's what? What's the name of the town? Palmer. Palmer. Um, no, I was Unless just going to say. So, Palmer. Palmer. <laughs> okay. All right. So. So I have satellite internet. I have satellite internet, and and that son of a gun blocks the satellite. <laughs> so I don't know. That's, that's hey, it. it's a hell of a view, though. It's a hell of a view. It, the internet might suck, but it's a hell of a view. Uh, Kristen just <laughs> a, a key. The, the guy said. It. Kristen just commented, just joining Point Man and Soothsayer together again, getting the band back together. It's DR. Missed it's you guys. DR, it's not Kristen. Yeah. Oh, it's D- right. It's DR. He doesn't Facebook. So, so, uh. so the, how I know Keith is back in, back in, uh, I can't remember what year, but we all hiked the Appalachian Trail. We met Keith on the Appalachian Trail. Um, and we all oh had. Oh, my God. AT 2K. What? AT 2K? AT Oh, yeah. It was 2000. It was 2000, right? Jesus Christ. It's been 20 years. Fuck. Yeah. Um, 
Anyway, so we all hiked the Appalachian Trail, met each other. When I met Keith, when I met Keith, he had he was a uh, he was retired from the Marines. He was a yoga teacher at the time, a retired Marine yoga teacher. Since being a yoga teacher, he has been both a tugboat captain, he's been a nurse, and now he's a police officer. So if there's anybody out there who's been both in the compassionate field as well as the uh, and military. The and, uh, yeah, I said Marine at the beginning. Oh, okay. Um, I missed it. Oh, no, no. So Marine, uh, a Marine as well. So from being a, close a nurse. On a, close on a couple of those, Mike. Close. Okay, you want to you want to you want to correct the record? Yeah. So I wasn't a captain. I was a deckhand. I wasn't a nurse. I was EMT tech, ER tech. So Got close. it. <laughs> Got it. But the yoga instructor was spot on, which to me is fascinating. I like. <laughs> I would do some Marine Corps yoga. That sounds badass as hell. Here's the fun part. Their guru, Mike over here, he was featured on um, Tiger King. Yep. Yeah. yeah, so so Keith and I shared a guru. Keith and I shared a, 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 a guru. Um, uh, no, he's the same guru that was uh, at Woodstock, um, Swami Yogananda. Uh, is that right? Did I say that right, Keith? Oh, we lost him. Anyway, so so we actually we actually shared yeah, a guru in Buckingham, Virginia. Is that not right? You're not even close, Mike. What was his name? It was Sachidinanda. Sachidinanda, that's right. Sachidinanda. Um, yeah. So anyway, we, he's the same guru of the guy I can't remember his name, but the one who has the zoo with all the wives and. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Yeah. The, the big the big dude with the mullet or yeah. the mullet beard. That guy. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the delay it's so hard with the, the Alaskan yeah, delay like seven, seven second delay there yeah it's rough it's rough <laughs> um, but I, here I'll, I'll hold this one I'm not speaking if I put it down I'll talk okay there if you you're go. putting your beer down you talk there okay, you go. Go. Um, um, so you know, I think I think one of the things because we do we got to wrap up here in just a couple minutes. But you know, I think so. I think one of the things that we need to to really readdress here is that we need to have a little bit more accountability at the corporate level, and we need to take a look at where the profits from those big corporations are going. Because I'm not against big companies. I just want to make sure that we're able to take care of the bourgeois. They're not monopolies. Well, and I don't give it. I mean, like, right. yeah, I don't want them to be monopolies, but really my biggest concern is that the, the productivity goes back to the people, at least to a degree. You know, at the end of the day, when a CEO of a company makes the 5,000 times in a year, 5,000 times the average salary of that company, we've got a bit of an issue. You know, we really right. need to take a look at where where the, that money is going to. I mean, if we go back to, to the fall of uh, Enron and all that stuff, and you watch these guys who should be in jail somewhere and they're getting $20 million balloon payments to go retire on a fucking island somewhere, we have an issue. Right. You know? And, and, and you know, we talked about, um, we talked about the, the real estate crisis for the big short is, is a great eye-opener into just how little oversight there is. You know, right. and even some funny shit. You go and watch the other guys with Will Ferrell and Mark Wahlberg. 
they do a good job at the end of the movie of taking apart some of the statistics as to what a worker, you know, just a family trying to make it here in, in the States is making versus uh, a CEO who literally, I mean, I've got 82 cars, six helicopters and a 200 foot yacht. And then there's people working three jobs, struggling to make sure their kids get fed at night. Right. I mean, my, my biggest frustration is these folks who are like pure laissez-faire economic capitalists and they're going, it is the way it's supposed to be. There should be less oversight, less regulation, da 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 da. And the more the more they lessen those regulations, the more they allow that capitalistic system to become more and more fascist and more corporate totalitarian, where the corporations now control the state. And that's the thing. And that's the thing that frustrated me so much with Citizens United. And that's the thing that frustrates me with the government being in bed with these corporations. You know, it's like socialism's no better than that. Communism's no better than that. It's, well, it's, it's, it's not. The, the corporations become purely abusive. I mean, they're already they abusive on so many levels. And when you lessen right. regulations, talking about quality of work. And yes, right. someone right. did make the point about unions, and, and that was Keith. And, and unions have a great place; they have a great place in, in a lot of fields. But it's not the it's not a one stop answer. It's not. We have to just hold these organizations more accountable than they're being held. And back to Keith's point, you know, one of the things he said that you know I don't know a better system than capitalism right now. Karl Marx himself said that socialism where the world's not ready for socialism. Socialism is the ultimate end game for when capitalism has gotten to a mature point and there's no scarcity. If there's no scarcity and we have enough of everything, then you make sure everyone's fed. That's it. You know? Right. Right. And I have no, I have no issue with that either. And you know, that, that brings us, it was funny. I, I posted a meme the other day and it was like, I'm so frustrated that uh, Star Trek skipped over the part between, uh, you know, not How did they get the there? 1990s <laughs> and then they're, they're how did they get there? How did Star Trek? And I think it's the replicator, to be quite honest with you. I think that's the thing when you don't have scarcity anymore. And we when still have scarcity. Have scarcity yep. Right. And and maybe that's an infrastructure problem. Maybe it's our it inability. Is. I mean, how, how much food do how much food do we fucking waste, right? No how much, it's a logistics how much, problem, yeah. It's a logistics problem, but it's also, you know, it could be a 3D printing problem, right? It's like, how do we, we maybe we fit, maybe there are technological, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm somebody who believes maybe, technology maybe will cover Waste. You were a restaurant manager. Not only was half of every plate you delivered to every single table thrown away, but so was half the silverware in the goddamn restaurant because the servers couldn't take the time to pull it off the plates yeah. and put it in the dishwasher. We're horrible. Well, I mean, and, and waste, waste is an issue, but you know, and that's from the consumer side. But Mike's right, and I mean, I think that that's really kind of our, our final point for today. But yeah, technology is the solution to all of this whether it's replicator or, Hey, we've got a helium shortage. All right, well, let's go fucking do some nuclear fission or fusion. I'm sorry. We'll go get ourselves some helium from all this extra hydrogen. We've got lying around. We get to the point where we can transmute atoms and yeah, the replicator becomes a thing and we can do whatever the fuck we want. We can get some goddamn internet. (laughs) (laughs) If we could get Keith some internet in Alaska, that'll be, that'll, we'll solve all the world's problems. I hear they still got internet out California. Well, apparently, my, apparently, my man Elon Musk is taking care of that. Yeah, see, uh, I almost called it Skynet. 
<laughs> the uh, Starlink. Starlink. Yeah. Starlink. <laughs> That'll be huge. That'll be huge. In China, it's more apt. That's uh, a little bit of both. A little bit of both. <laughs> Um, I mean, that's definitely another topic for another day. Um, but I, I definitely, you know, I definitely think that technology can solve problems. Now, you know, there's, a, there's always been this idea that, well, we need to fix humans. You know, we're just not, we're not enlightened enough. And, I, and, I, and there's truth to that. But the question is, the question is on a, on a, on a world with 7.8 billion humans, that's constantly multiplying and exploding. Are we going to be able to change everyone's minds? And, and I really think if you want to change the world, you have to change the environment, right? It's not, we're not going to change human beings, brain composition, you know, with, with enlightened thought, we're going to change their 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 mental perspective when we give them environments to live in that are that are productive, healthy. It um, certainly helps. It certainly helps. But you know, Mike, I also think. I mean, I think this is. We've talked about this. We'll continue to talk about this. I think it really comes down to all of us holding ourselves a little bit more accountable for this shit. You know, whether you are an Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos, and or you know. Yes. I just think that's it. You know, oh, if you've got he, the resources. He, he heard, Keith heard the word personal responsibility and he went, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's that simple. I mean, it's, it's incredibly it's complicated, but it's, it's not. It, 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 it is, it is. It's just getting people to do As it. As I is said the, before, you change the world by changing yourself. Boom. Man in the mirror, best Michael Jackson song ever. And, and, no, and so, I, and I love that idea, but is it, is it real? You guys, come on. Yes, what, what, it's real. Yes, okay. It's real. Okay. Yeah, okay. It, to, when did when did the yes, one absolutely because the only person that you can affect is yourself. Agree. I cannot force you to do anything. Exactly. I can only show you the a way to live that might be a little bit better, right? I, and that's just my opinion. I can only lead by example, right? I can only hope that you see and you're like, wow, that dude's got his shit together. I want to be like that. I cannot force anyone to do anything. It's never going to work like that. I can never going to be able to do it. I can, I can, changes yourself and your reaction. I, I completely agree with you, and I think that changes things on a micro level, Keith. I'm not convinced that changes things on a macro level. Until, and if you if you want to, 7.8 billion people do it, then exactly. And 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 for the most part, you're going to have you're you're always going to have leaders. You're always going to have followers and to expect all of humanity to be leaders is not going to happen. I'm sorry. Well, it's just not. But, but if we can get the leaders, especially the leaders to have a little more personal responsibility, it, it moves us forward. I agree. I agree. And, and, you know, and, and, and I'm always going to be doing that for myself and I'm always going to be, um, you know, you don't have to have all the leaders. All, all you have to do is have a few folks, And we lost him. No, he's waiting. He said, he, he said, all we have to do is have a few folks dot, dot, dot. And we're all waiting. And it's like that Jesus moment when like, you know, Jesus is dying on the cross and he's going, <laughs> all you have to do is. <laughs> and I'm on the edge of my fucking seat. I know I did. Dot, dot, dot. It's like when the, the, the in the Holy Grail when they were carving on the wall and they're like, oh, "It's the monster." Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I 
Um, all I'm saying is you don't all have to be leaders. All you need is good leaders to demonstrate the proper way to be, and then the other people can just follow and do their own introspection. I mean, we, we basically have to constantly, every day you have to look at yourself and be like, am I better now than when I woke up this morning? Hmm. Did I make the world a better place when I went to bed than it was when I woke up? If we, all of us did that, every one of us did that, the world would be a better place. I think the problem is some people think the world might be a better place if, say, they got rid of everyone without skin pigment. Right now, right. that's the kind of stuff we need to to somehow eliminate from our society. That's right. the question. I don't know how to do that. Wait, wait, right. I, I how to do that in myself. I don't know how to do that in everyone else. Well, I think I think he was I think he was creating a, a hypothetical. But yes, Kristen, let's bring it back to that. Well, no, I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm just going to say I, I completely agree with you, and I wish there were more officers out in the world that believed the way you believe, Keith, and and people in general. Yeah, right? I was because creating a hypothetical because there are there are people who think that. Yeah. No, hundred percent. Hundred percent. And how do you, how do you change those people? And I think to your point, Keith, you know, I, I think that by if you're somebody I who has a voice, think or, there are a ton, Mike. There are ton yeah. that I think the way I think because I've had conversations. Uh, you think there are a ton of officers who think the way you think that there are people who approach situations and want to de-escalate and want to um, serve and protect versus. I think I mean, I don't, I don't doubt that at all. I just, unfortunately, the issue is, like I said before, it doesn't take, it doesn't take many in a, and that's a leadership position for sure. And it doesn't take many people to, to make a very negative impact on a large scale. Well, it's fun. It's funny because like people will you they'll be like, you know, they'll um, defend officers and say, you know, it's just a few bad apples. And it's like, but that you you forgetting the rest of the metaphor. The whole the metaphor is a few bad a few apples, bad apples spoils, spoil the tree, spoils the bunch. And it's like, how do we create? And I, and I do agree. Um, you know, I actually think we should be funding the police better, right? I think yeah, we should. I like be that. I, I, I like better. that. In, yeah, in better ways and, and hiring better police officers, training police officers better, right. ensuring they understand well, de-escalation. Sure, pay them more and but, give them better benefits too. They deserve it. I mean, these are people well, who literally, of course, you know, yeah, put, put their lives in line for people. Even yeah, our keep, neighbor who I only met once or twice, who was a police officer when we were talking through what was going on with our neighbor who needed a lot of mental health services while the police were constantly getting called on her, he and her buddy, his buddies, who were also police officers, were sitting out in the yard antagonizing her in her craziness one day. So they weren't taking their job very seriously at that point. They weren't doing anything horribly wrong. Uh, So it's a... There's a level of responsibility there that needs to be upheld for sure. Well, yeah, I and mean, at the end of the day, you know, police officers and people in authority positions have to be held to a higher standard. You know, and so no do corporations. That. That's my damn point. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> and so, and and I don't think you know, I I don't think you can just defund that. Obviously, don't know what that situation is. I don't know the details of it. But let me just play devil's advocate for a second. What if those guys need to establish a certain amount of 
probable cause or change of a certain situation show itself before they can take that person's liberty from them and bring them to a hospital to get treatment. So mm. I, I can't speak for what they're saying, but sometimes like when I'm dealing with a mental health crisis, right, if someone's not uh, a danger to himself, a danger to another person, or so inebriated they can't take care of themselves, there's nothing I can do. My hands are tied. They can go about being the crazy person that they are for as long as they can until they meet one of those three criteria. Maybe those guys were just given a little bit of push to see if they could elicit a reaction that would allow them to take that person to a doctor. Because obviously we're not doctors out there, right? We can do one thing. Right. We, can, we can show up on scene and see someone who needs help. And then we got to figure out a way to get help. If they want to get in my car and go to the hospital, that's awesome. Get in the back of my car. I'll take you there. What music you want to listen to, right? But if, if not, they have to meet one of those three criteria. We're talking about taking away somebody's liberty, involuntarily taking them away from their home, taking away their liberty and committing them to a hospital. That's a serious thing. In the state of Alaska, only two people can do that, a police officer and a trained psychologist or psychiatrist, right. whichever one of the two of those is. Uh, that's a big deal. And I, you know, I can't speak for what those guys are doing, but uh, that just playing a devil's advocate, that might be something along those lines. And then... Mm. You know, as a civilian looking at it, you're like, oh, my God, why did he just say that guy? He's spooling him up. Well, you know, maybe he's just trying to elicit a reaction. He's just trying to, to, to litmus test those waters and see if this person really needs some mental health intervention or not. That's a really fascinating point. Really, not one that, yeah. I, that I would have that I would have thought about. But, yeah, thank you for the perspective there, Keith. That's uh, well, I think it's different. Easy. It's definitely easy to allow the, um, you know, the emotional, moral, it's, it's easy to take the emotional, moral high ground in, in any given situation, sure. especially yeah, in the powder keg of America that we're in today. Like, and I am absolutely as guilty as anyone. Now, I'm always going to stand up when I see an injustice. I'm always going to sure. point it out. I'm not always going to know the solution. And I may, and I may put my foot in the mouth my my foot in my mouth in between what I'm pointing out and the solution. Um, but I think as a society, we can do a much better job of putting ourselves in other people's shoes. And now I also think that, you know, I, I'm going to be honest with you, Keith, I don't think all cops are as good as you are. You know, I don't think, I don't think they all think. I don't, the way I don't think, think, I don't think all people are as good. I mean, I, Keith is, is, unfortunately for the rest of the world, there is an order of magnitude better in certain individuals and others and, you know, it, it's a shame, but that's the case. And we can't treat everyone with the, to the level of, of expectation that we have for ourselves and for those that are close to us, you know, and that's, and, and that's, it's an issue. And that's, it's, it's that level of, of, we said personal responsibility, but that's that same thing that we're going to have to do from a political standpoint, from a business standpoint, from a professional standpoint for all of these things. And we're going to have to really kind of raise the bar across the board. Yeah. Yeah. And it's going to take better leadership. It's going to take better people. And you brought up the, the four boxes of Liberty four boxes of Liberty. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think what we're doing here now, you know, even though, you know, it's just basically us talking to each other and, and a, a few fun listeners, um, you know, it is still something. It is still us speaking out and and speaking publicly and sharing ideas and opinions that can evolve. And I think that's incredibly important. 
um, because that is that is what we that is something that we can do. But it's going to take more than that, and it's going to take oh, people standing up and you know being very clear about how we how we start to make some shifts and and how we treat each other, and specifically what policies we put in place to Definitely. both both protect um, ourselves against a tyrannical and fascist government, while at the same time protecting people um, individually. Um, you know, from a, from a, from an overtly, um, you know, uh, unsu- we, we have issues with capitalism too, and we got to protect people from, from un, uh, tethered capitalism as well. Here, here. But I mean, I, you guys. Cocktails and calamity. As we'll the globe continues to shrink and the power of information Jeez. screams forward, every action, every idea has a chance to catch fire and set the world ablaze. In this time of great uncertainty, we look boldly in the face of calamity with cocktail in hand. Join us every single week as we discuss the technology, politics, and social issues facing humanity's global future. If you'd like bonus content, our weekly newsletter, or an opportunity to join us live, simply go to cocktailsandcalamity.com to join the movement. You can find us live on Facebook at Cocktails and Calamity every Friday at 5 p.m. You can also watch or listen anytime on YouTube, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify. Join us live, engage in the conversation. We'll see you there.